Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Remember to use code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets If you don't win your first bet, place your money line, prop, or parlay bets with the king of sportsbooks today. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotion, promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. Brain fog, insomnia, moodiness, weight gain. Maybe you think they're just part of getting older, but Midi Health understands that for women over 40, they can all connect to menopause. It's at the root of dozens of symptoms we experience, not just hot flashes. Midi clinicians are menopause experts offering safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions covered by insurance. 91% of Midi patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. This podcast is a member of the Voices of Wrestling podcasting network. Visit voicesofwrestling.com to hear the rest of our great podcasts, as well as show reviews, columns, opinions, and updates across the world of wrestling. Welcome back, everybody, to Wrestling Omakase. It is our Wrestle Kingdom 14 Night 1 Instant Reaction Show. Uh, we did this last year at Wrestle Kingdom 13. We're doing it again here at 7.30 in the morning Eastern Time. Um, so I can't really be this loud probably the entire time. But we're back here uh, both nights. Uh, we're going to be doing two live shows on YouTube, and then that will be combined together into episode number 126 of Omakase. So you might be listening to this back later. That's cool, too. But hopefully you've joined us here live. Uh, Thank you if you have. And, of course, thank you as always for listening uh, to the podcast as well. Uh, I have three guests here, one of whom... Actually, no, two of whom are first-time guests, so that's a cool way to start 2020. Uh, First of all, I should start you, Chris, since you get shouted out pretty much <laughs> on a daily basis now for it seems like on these broadcasts but welcome back to or welcome to Chris Samsa of the 
Voices of Wrestling and the Statistics of Pro Wrestling. Hey there. Thanks for having me. Uh, I actually just listened to you do the the preview on the PW Torch, which was, I thought was a great show too. So. Oh yeah, yeah, it was a good time. I finally got on some audio with Alan for L, so that was that was a trip. But yeah, very happy to have you here. Um, hopefully, we're okay. Cool, we are live apparently. Thank you to uh, Liam from the Wednesday War Games for confirming that we're on. He told me to shout him out as his as my favorite VOW contributor, which I don't know if I can quite do that, Liam, but you're one of my favorites. How about that? Uh, but there you go. But thank you, Chris, for coming on. Um, also coming on for the first time, Tyler, uh, originally from the uh, Super Jcast Discord and now a Voices of Wrestling contributor as well. Contributor as well. Hi, Tyler. Hi, John. Good to be on. I appreciate you having me. What's happening? Oh, well, what? we just saw a fantastic uh, Wrestle Kingdom, and I'm excited to talk about it. What time? What, by the way, what time zone are you guys? That I should have asked that right away. You're both Central, right? I think. I am Central Standard Time. Same so here. Good old six twenty-seven. Yep. Yeah, so it's seven thirty in the east on the east coast, obviously. Um, and then Paul, of course, you're over there in Europe. Our third guest here, Mr. Paul Vosch, returning guest. Uh, you get to like what time is it there? Like it's like noon, right? Twelve thirty p.m. Yeah, it's, yeah, it's just past noon right now. So I'm just happy and awake and ready to face the rest of the day. How about you guys? Oh, I'm good. Uh, Same. I gotta, I gotta go to bed <laughs> soon. But, you know, I'm gonna try to power through this. Are you guys actually gonna like go to sleep, or are you just gonna try to stay up for the entire day? I have no idea. <laughs> I'm going to let my body decide. I'm probably just going to end up staying up. I I drank a bang while I was watching the show, so I'm not sleeping anytime soon. I figure I sleep all day today and I'll be ready to go for midnight, so that'll be my plan. Used to be yeah, used I'm... to be regular life back in my early 20s, so I can slip back into that slum, slime ball <laughs> lifestyle. I just woke up without an alarm at 6.50 today and just turned on the show. It was great. Yeah. Yeah, that must be nice. <laughs> Tonight shouldn't be so bad uh, as as the day goes on here because it's kind of just like a late night. Right. Uh, with timing. So maybe I will get a nap in after I throw a bunch of numbers on the internet. Oh, we got uh, Emilio in the chat here saying it's 7.30 where he is as well. Uh, and by the way, we do have a, a live chat too, which is one of the cooler parts of being live on YouTube, obviously. So if you are listening live, which it seems like a bunch of you are already, uh, feel free to throw stuff in the live chat and, you know, I might read it on the air. Uh, in the meantime, let's start breaking down Wrestle Kingdom. Um, I'm going to say the same thing we did last year, which is start at the top. So hopefully hit the major matches before... Um, you know, we really like start running out of energy. Um, but yeah, so what is, uh, what does everybody think of the main event? First of all, I guess Okada and Ibushi, it's, I feel like it's going to be a divisive match to some degree when it comes to like the, you know, the way that I guess a lot of major Okada title matches are divisive, but, uh, it seems like people, it seems like a lot of people are already much higher than I am. So I assume we have a few on the episode that are. So I want to start. I'll start with you, Chris. What did you think of Okada versus Ibushi? 
and I guess were you were you one of the people that really thought Coda had a chance or did you kind of think it was Okada from the beginning? I was probably like 70 30. I like I and the 30 was probably just that I wanted Kota Ibushi to win. Um cuz he's he is my favorite of these four. Um in the sense of how the match went though. I mean like they they had me at a couple of points. Um and it kind of uh it takes a little bit more now than ever to to get me to believe that um the underdog is going to come out the winner. So when I mean, they they had some spots in there when that 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 got me screaming at my television um, in in surprise more than anything. So I enjoyed it quite a bit. I think it was um, the next level up from their G one match, which I really liked too. So um, it was it met my uh, already high expectations. Um, so that's interesting that you compared it to the G one match because I I definitely thought it was a little bit below the G1 match, so that'll be an interesting comparison point. Um, so I, I guess I'll just say right now, like the, the big problem I had with the match was the same problem I end up having with a lot of like big Okada title matches, which is the, you know, the 15-minute the, the call happened, and it just felt like literally nothing had happened. And even on the Okada big title match scale, it felt like particularly... Uh, egregious in that way where like you know it just felt like a lot of resting pretty much a lot of like rest holds and not very interesting stuff whereas the Sonata Okada title matches you know which some people didn't like and I I thought three out of the four not title but three out of the four Okada Sonata matches I thought were really good uh the Juntaku one would have been the only like bad one um I thought the the early mat work in those matches were actually was actually really interesting, which is one of the reasons why I thought those matches were a level above some of the other recent Okada like major matches. But here, I don't know. The first fifteen minutes were just so boring that it took the the match down at least a little bit for me. After that, it did really pick up, and you know, especially after maybe like the twenty minute mark, it could get really good. So by the end, you know, I still went like four and a quarter on it, and I thought they really bumped their asses off and saved it. And they did convince me towards the end too that like I really thought Ibushi might pull it out. I mean, I thought Ibushi might pull it out going in. Honestly, I thought I would have picked Okada to begin with, but you know, I, w- I felt far less certain about the winner than I did for uh, Naito. And Jay White, which we're going to talk about that, that hurt that match for me, where it just felt like I, I never believed that Jay White had even a chance in hell of winning. But Okada Ibushi, they actually did convince me a few times that you know Ibushi might pull it out. So that was that was really good, and that's I gave them like a little bump for that too, because you know I thought they did a really good job with the near falls and stuff towards the end. But yeah, so I'm at like four and a quarter, which seems to be lower than some people, and I suspect might be the lowest on the show. Uh, what did you think, Tyler? What was your like star rating stuff on this? I guess, and also like, were your, did they ever convince you that Coda was going to win? Did you think Coda was going to win going in? I honestly didn't know what to think of this whole double tournament going in because you could make a justification for all four men coming out with it. Obviously, I will, no, I will be honest. I never in a million years thought Jay White was winning this thing. I didn't get what the fuck people were talking about with that. Like, I could never picture them ending a Wrestle Kingdom with Jay White holding both belts up and, like, him and Gato cackling. It's funny to think about, but I never, they never, I I never thought that even had a chance in hell. But anyway, continue. I'm sorry. That's okay. Um, I never believed it would happen, but 
I could see it happening. They kind of strapped the rocket pack onto Jay White uh, from the second he came back from excursion, the Tanahashi match at the Dome two kingdoms ago, and then he won the IWGP title in February. It wouldn't have shocked me if they decided to just roll with it, but I think at the end of the day, Naito Okada was the right way to go. I actually went full five on Ibushi Okada, and I think one of the reasons why the first 15 minutes really felt uh, slower was because that Jay White Naito match was uh, kind of a, a letdown right after the Osprey Hiromu match, but the highs in this match were just—it was just masterclass. Abushi went on a murderous rampage. There were a couple instances in the match where I thought it was a legit shoot, and they just wanted to absolutely kill each other, and it felt like a fight. It had a big fight feel when. Abushi kicked out of that rainmaker when Okada had him stacked up. Uh, yeah. It was it. They had me believing Abushi was going to win, and then when Okada ended up rainmakering him three times, it it was a little bit of a letdown in that aspect. But I think they got they made the right decision, and we're in for one hell match tomorrow night with him and Naito. I do think that I think him and Naito. Do have a do have a chance to even top Okada Ibushi? So I guess we'll see. But I mean, Naito did kind of save himself for it, honestly, which I guess we'll talk about in a second. Paul, I guess same basic question: What did you think of Okada Ibushi? Did you think Okada was going to win coming in? Did they ever convince you during the match that Kota was going to win? Yeah. So going in, I was pretty convinced that Okada was going to win and they did actually get me a couple of times where I was like after Okada hit him with those two rainmakers and then Ibushi reversed the third that's when I was convinced that oh oh shit Ibushi is actually winning this and then they go on this like crazy closing stretch where that just amazing and then when Okada finally hit that final rainmaker on Ibushi I was actually wearing a hat at that time I was like literally like springing up from my couch and throwing my head into a corner and like jumping for joy it's like it i i have to say like i do get the criticisms early on in the match and i do i wouldn't say that this was my match of the night but i still think it was pretty damn good and that closing stretch was really as good as any as i've seen of both men so so we're all we're all in agreement then that okada was winning going in but we all kind of did bite on a few of the Coda stuff. I mean, that, that one that I didn't think Coda was going to win when he hit that Kamigoi just because I kind of figured they were doing the each getting a kick out thing. But once Ibushi like hit that hit his own Rainmaker, basically, I thought that at that point, maybe he could, you know, basically pull it out from there. Um, there was a, sorry, John, there was a part of me that thought that they were, gonna tell the story of okada trying to hit too many rainmakers and it backfiring on him the way that the destino piece backfired on on naito a couple years ago right which maybe that could be something for tomorrow right right that would be an awesome story tomorrow actually yeah um okay so i guess any other final thoughts on okada ibushi before we move on to the other match and then we get into the talk for tomorrow anyone i think the only thought i have coming out of this is where kota ibushi goes from here because we we really haven't seen the murderous side of ibushi over the last couple years in new japan so where he takes this uh, um, growth on his character and 
uh, how he how he utilizes it moving forward, I think is going to be really fun coming out of New Year's Dash. I, you know, I'm glad you brought mentioned that because it reminded me. I could not believe that like when he went into murder coda mode, that people actually booed him. I'm like, who the fuck can have sympathy for Okada? Who's like, I mean, he, I'm not nothing against him as a person, but like as a character, he's like the cockiest fucking prick of all time. I'm like, I couldn't believe people actually booed Coda for beating the crap out of this guy. It just, especially after the entire build, he was like such a jerk to him. Uh, I think it was because when Coda was just uh, punching Okada in the face, it didn't feel like a wrestling match. It felt like a shoot fight. Yeah, and I think that's kind of what the crowd was thinking too. Yeah, and I want to. Yeah, and they've. And you have to remember that the crowd in there, like Okada, is like their guy. He's been the ace for like forever. So like, I think people like they know that Okada is like the cocky guy, but he's their cocky guy. And I'm not sure that they like. I know that he's side now and everything, but I'm not sure that they have fully accepted Kota as like a proper New Japan guy now. The same way they have obviously with Okada. Yeah, and I, I Liam, by the way, brought up in the chat that like he bit when Ibushi hit the V trigger, which I totally forgot about. That was a great little callback. Uh, it was an interesting little uh, callback given some stuff I've heard lately, but it was still cool that Koda hit a hit a V trigger as like a little reference. Uh, Chris, I think you were about to say something, so go ahead. Yeah, I was gonna say. Um, I think on the character side of thing with Ibushi, we're gonna see. Um, jay white try to leverage this tomorrow um because they've been kind of running that that angle of jay white trying to recruit kota Ibushi, and and i think that that's a long shot that they actually kind of go with it but i think that that this can open the door for uh some story pieces yeah um but that's okada Ibushi. let's move over to naito and jay white which i'm sure is a little bit of a controversial match um so here's obviously the 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 biggest thing and the easiest problem. I mean, this had this match really could not follow Will and Hiromu, which we're going to talk about in a second. I think was the clear match of the night, and um, you know I can kind of understand if you have the main hire, I guess, but I thought I don't really think it was actually that close. And you know, Will Hiromu is this like crazy, totally out of control match. And this was, you know, a very much slower, like, character work type match. So had that disadvantage going right away, um, you know, the crowd just... It, I, I would have switched... I, I get what they did here. They wanted to have the double gold end the show, but I really would have, like, swapped these two. And I think, you know, this match would have worked a lot better coming off of, you know, that quick street fight... Or the quick Texas death match with uh, Moxie and Archer. But, you know, that's not what they did. So you got to only talk about what they did. And, you know, the problem was, on top of that, you know, there was, like, way too much Gato interference for me. It just went on and on and on and on with the interference spots and the ref bumps and the fucking uh, low blows and the, you know, all this bullshit. And just every time I was finally getting into the match, you know, it just felt like the Gato shit would happen again and it would just, like, totally lose me again. Um, I thought Naito was really good here, which I'm sure will not surprise people listening, but I thought his selling especially was amazing, like his leg selling. I wish it had gone somewhere, you know, to the end, which would have definitely improved the match for me. Uh, but I thought his actual selling was incredible. And, like, there's one point where he does this, um, he tries to kick off the rope, like he always does for that, like, uh, like Tornado DDT, and he misses it on purpose, which I'm almost positive was, like, again, not a botch, just... 
something he did like on purpose to sell the leg, which I thought was incredible. So that was an incredible moment. And there was a lot of little incredible touches from Naito. There was also like a really awkward sequence towards the end that I don't know whose fault it was where they kind of like, you know, got got mixed up. And then right after that, we got more fucking ref bumps. So end of the day, I could not go higher than three and a half stars. Um, I People have told me they went five on this, which I'm like, you know, I thought I loved Naito. Uh, but like three and a half is about where, I, where I'm at. I thought it was nowhere close to their Destruction and Kobe match, which was four and a half. And the other problem, which I kind of hinted at before, is I never once believed that Jay White was winning this. I never in a million trillion years thought Jay White was going to beat Naito. I mean, I, it's not that I'm 100% sure that Naito's winning the double gold, especially if he had been up against Kota tomorrow, but, like, I never once for a second thought they were going to put Jay White through to that main event tomorrow. It just made no sense to me. So there, I, I didn't really feel any drama in this match, even, you know, down, towards the end, a little, little bit, where it's like, oh, well, maybe if he, you know, spins out and hits this uh, Blade Runner, then maybe they're really about to fuck me. But, like, almost no drama for me, at least. So that that hurt the match, too. Just, it, I never believed that Naito was losing. So I think if if it felt more plausible, I just didn't see them dropping Naito to Jay White three times unless he was about to report to uh, fucking Winter Park, Florida, or wherever the hell it is. So there you go. Uh, I guess get in here, Chris. What did you think of the match? Uh, do you disagree with my takes about... I guess if you believe Naito had any chance of losing this, uh, and if it hurt the match for you at all, anything like that. Yeah, I, I think that hurt the match. Um, I think, I think that hurts a lot of New Japan matches after the G One. To be perfectly honest, um, that like super obvious. This is where this is headed, booking. So you know, even going back to like any title defense or any briefcase defense between the G One and and Wrestle Kingdom. So. Um, this was in line with that for me um as the as for the match i loved naito's selling i think that that added um it added a wrinkle that um has been that misses from some of those types of matches i think it could add to what they do tomorrow with if naito continues to sell the knee um so i i i think if you remove all the gato stuff um, I like the match a ton more. Um, I think I like Jay White matches when Gato is is minimally involved, if any, if I at agree, all. I agree. And I, I, do you remember Destruction of Kobe? I feel like he was nowhere near as involved. He was not. I I, I remember liking that. Hell, I remember loving that match. So, um, yes, he must not. He could not have been as involved as he was today. There's no way he was doing chair shots and um jumping in towards in the in the last third of the match too so um i could be i could be i could be wrong on on some of the details of that but yeah but i feel like he would i feel like i remember him like tripping up nitro like a couple times on the floor maybe and that maybe might have been the extent or getting up on the apron or twice and that's really it nothing like getting in the ring right right nothing like tonight so i think if if you if you if they could have removed some of that and they they could have they could have had the same match essentially and Naito could have sold the knee the same way and Jay White would have looked stronger and Naito would have come out looking potentially even weaker going into tomorrow as a as a bigger underdog so um I thought I think the match was was fine they they didn't they never got me though like like we came into 
um, Okada and Ibushi thinking, okay, Okada's going to win this, especially after Naito won. And um, they got me at least to think, well, maybe, maybe they're going to do it. And at no point did I think that Jay White was winning this match. Um, even though I know they like him there. They like him a ton, and they like to put him in those big matches, and they liked for him to be in the main event because it creates this true good guy, bad guy um, dichotomy. So, um, but yeah, it was it was a good match. I don't do star rating, so but I would put it. I would I would agree with everyone who puts it kind of in that middle tier. Um, I want to mention something. Going to bring up in the chat real quick because Amor Starwind made a great point that like uh, that he he said I hated that Bushi didn't come out and drag Gato away, and then Justin Lemon said I know why they usually don't, but it never makes sense to me why Lij never runs out to help Nate from interference. They used to a lot more, honestly, and it's a little annoying that they don't do it anywhere near as much. I mean, they're turning into chaos where, like, why, Naito has all these friends. Why the fuck aren't any of them coming out here to stop Gato from interfering? That is kind of stupid, and I can't really disagree uh, with that take. But, yeah, so I wanted to bring that up in the chat because I thought that was a great point that I did not think of. Um, let's see. What else... What other takes do we have here on this Naito-White match? What do you think, Tyler? Did you ever think for a second Naito was losing? And what did you think of the match? I did think that there was a chance that Naito was losing, but the longer the match dragged on, it just didn't feel like he could. Uh, one of the nice parts about Jay White is the second he hits a blade under the match is over. Uh, that finishing move has been incredibly protected, and it can come out of nowhere as Jay White's offense is really built around counters. So... I I always had a, a little voice in the back of my head saying it was possible, but it did really feel like uh, Naito was going to end up winning. Uh, I'm gonna I completely agree with Chris in that Naito selling was fantastic. Um, those uh, DDT spots where he uh, plants his foot on the top rope, they kind of looked botched, but they really looked intentional from Naito. And I know you made a comment in the chat about that earlier, John. It, it just felt like masterclass selling and him collapsing as he's running the ropes, just really selling that knee. But it also was really interesting that after the match, he is like skying off the top rope and landing really hard on his feet on the outside with that knee instead of just rolling out of the ring, which I found interesting. Mm. And like it, it just felt like that kind of took a little bit away from it for me. If you're going to sell it, yeah, it just stay consistent. It doesn't matter if if you're going to no-sell it or sell it. Just well, people never be care. consistent. Nobody cared when Will Ospreay did that against Tanahashi. <laughs> that, that's, no, that's very fair. Um, <laughs> that's why, I mean, people love that match, but that, that destroyed that match for me. That like, And that was in the middle of the match. He just kind of like, suddenly, his leg was fine. But I don't know. People are very... Uh, choosy i guess on who to apply that standard to i i think it's all situational too and i i think you can make the argument with uh osprey and, and you can make it with this match too that that based on who the opponent is and kind of like like if you're a football player and you're playing in the super bowl you're going to play harder than you are in like week five so that going up against tanahashi and sumo hall you, you can make the argument that will's uh, taking it to the next level, so, so I, I, mean, you I can say, see. You could say the same thing with Naito here, then. 
Uh, that that's exactly what I'm trying to yeah, say too. Like yeah. you can say the same with Naito at Tokyo Dome. It's yeah. It you should stay consistent with that. But I also want to bring up a point that uh, I saw Joe Lanza make, in that I'm surprised that they're going with Naito in this underdog story, considering what happened two years ago at the Dome and then at Wrestle Kingdom Eight, where he got voted out of the main event. Where it feels like that should be more of the story instead of. Uh, Naito hurt his knee in this match and then he's got to um, come from that underdog role. I'm very interested in w- what you guys think about that. Well, I think they're just... they're. I don't know. I think they really want to go over the top to convince you that Okada's going to win tomorrow because I think it does seem a little obvious that this is going to be... An, I, I, I shouldn't say that because once the match actually starts, I'll still be nervous, but like, it feels pretty obvious that Naito is going to win tomorrow right now so i think they're just trying to do anything they can to get that seed of doubt going probably that's what i would think i i don't know how much the knee's gonna have to do with it we'll have to wait and see the match tomorrow but um you know i just think they're trying to get that seed of doubt in your head because you know i don't know it feels kind of it's a very logical story which you know new japan tends to do very logical stories but that also means it can feel kind of obvious, and it does feel kind of obvious right now. So I think it's just a seed of doubt type thing. That's fair. Uh, did you want to jump in here, Paul? What did you think of the match? The, I guess the point Tyler just made, if you want to add anything? Or did, did you ever think Jay had a chance, and did they ever convince you during the match? So while uh, me teasing you before the match kind of was... Mo- about Jay potentially winning was mostly me just doing shtick. Like, I do think there was an off chance to me that Jay might actually win the match simply because I was I was convinced previously that Okada was winning his match. So I thought that there would have been a chance that they're going to do Okada White on night two mm. so that Okada can get his win back from one year ago. Well, I get that argument, but, but he, he, got once the win- match- he got his win back at MSG. That's why I didn't understand about that argument. He got his win back, but I do think it still would have been kind of like, because he beat him at the Dome, which still is kind of, still kind of the bigger deal in a way. I thought at least there was an off chance. Like I said, I still was convinced that Naito was going to win, but I think there was a minor chance at least that they would do it again just so he can get his win back. And But once the match actually started, there was like no doubt in my mind ever that Naito was actually losing this. And, Maybe that was just the way the match was structured, and I didn't really super like the early parts of it. I did kind of like it as it went on, but it was also very much based on Naito's performance itself rather than really anything that White did. Like, I still have somewhat mixed feelings on Jay White overall. It's, I, I think he has kind of picked up a bit. Like, I really didn't like his first half of 2019. I did kind of like his second half of 2019 more. Yeah, I'm with you. But kind of this match kind of didn't really help kind of ease my kind of concerns, so to say. But, like, Naito very much kind of carried that match and kind of his selling and everything. And when he was on offense, like, it was just way more dynamic and everything. So I'm... I think they really made the right call on having Naito go to night two. And I do think it's kind of obvious, as you said, that he's going to win. But, yeah, I don't know. I'm still looking forward to the match, though. Yeah, I think they're going to have a really... I mean, I've always felt the two of them have really underrated matches. You know, the one two years ago was really good. 
uh, even though I can never rewatch it. Uh, the Cork and Hall one from like 2012 when Okada first came back um, was like just incredible and maybe one of the most underrated matches ever. And even the 2014 match, the uh, you know the bad vote match, I guess you could say, was still like a really awesome match. And the fact that they they actually like I think anyway destroyed that Tanahashi Nakamura match that the the fans voted into the main event for that show. So. You know, I think they, I think they'll have a really good match tomorrow. I'm not really that worried about the match quality. Um, you know, this didn't click for me, but I, I, I really think more than anything, it was the Gato stuff that really dragged it down because, you know, I really liked what yeah. Nato tried to do with the with the selling, and you know, it was boring early on, but so was Okada Ibushi. And every time, but it's the problem. The difference was every time. I would sort of get back. I, I would like be almost really into it and be feeling like, oh, maybe it's back above like four stars now. The Gato shit would just fucking ruin it for me again. So if you get rid of the Gato stuff, I think this would have been like a four star match, easy, maybe even higher. Uh, and that's my other point with Jay White. Like he, I've liked him a lot in the second half of the year too. The same thing as you. Like the first half of the year, I wasn't that into it, and the second half, I thought he improved a lot. But he has to get past this Gato stuff. Like he really has to drop it. Like not even if it's not, you know, dropping it completely. If they still want to do like one or two like trip spots or whatever, that's fine. But like it cannot be like this. Like you cannot have him in the ring. Maybe they just thought that was the only way the crowd would buy, you know, Naito losing here. But like the problem was it didn't it didn't work for the story they had told. Like Jay White beat this guy twice, and the G one. I mean, he basically beat him clean. Like, I don't even remember Gato being involved at all, really, especially down the stretch. And Kobe, like like we said, Gato maybe got involved a little bit. But, like, it doesn't make any sense that he would need Gato in the ring, you know, with a fucking chair to beat Naito when he already beat him twice. So that part of it I didn't like, and that would be a problem I had. So hopefully... Uh, yeah, what, what I'm hoping for is that maybe, and I doubt it will happen... But I hope they just do like a gigantic reset at New Year's Dash where they just blow up all of the factions. And I don't do mean like all of them, even though I doubt that they would disband Bullet Club. But like, I think it just, it's way overdue. Like literally every faction, even LIJ and I love them, but like how many years have they been around now? Like, I think it's about time to just like get rid of all of no, them and just do like a complete I mean, reset on that. They would never, I mean, LIJ make no sense to break up they just have they sell way too much merch for one and that's all that's the other problem why i think they've resisted breaking chaos up too because even chaos who barely exist at this point as like a separate entity from hantai i mean they still sell way more merchandise than you think they do probably so i think that's probably the issue but i don't, I don't think lij is fine i think suzuki goon's fine but i would rework uh, Chaos, Bullet Club, Hauntai, probably. Like, Chaos, those are the ones that I think are very stale. I think you could even, I think you could make a new unit out of them. I think, especially if you bring in people back from Excursion slash bring in new people. Um, but yeah, those are the ones I think are really, really stale. I think LIJ and Suzuki Unit are fine, but that's my personal opinion on a unit, unit shuffle. Kind of a tangent, though. Uh, but yeah, let's, so f- to wrap up the double gold stuff, I guess, for here, um, Chris, I, I guess, start with you. Naito Okada tomorrow. Uh, Paul kind of talked about he's expecting to be a really good match. I said I was expecting to be a really good match. I guess your expectations on the match quality, and do you think, I mean, are you pretty sure it's Naito winning, or do you think there's any chance Gato's trolling Naito fans again tomorrow? 
Oh, I hate to think of it. Um, I think the match will be good, but I think I'm still going to... I think I'm probably... My match of the weekend is probably going to end up being... I, it would be hard for me to believe it's not Okada Ibushi. I, I had a blast with that match. So, um, With that said, I mean, these guys are going to deliver. Um, there's no doubt about that. I know I'm going to go back and watch all their previous matches today just to get ready for callbacks and things I don't remember about them because I haven't watched them in, in, in a while. So, um, And I... I I, to be honest, at this point, I, I do. I think we're doing the LIJ. Everyone's got a belt roll call um, at the end, and I think it's going to be really awesome. Yeah. I just don't see any way they're not doing something like that. Uh, I guess, Tyler, same question. Do you have expectations for the match, and uh, who, do you think any there's any chance Naito doesn't win? I think there is a chance Naito doesn't win, and something that I know has been mentioned before uh, there hasn't been a winner that wasn't Okada or Tanahashi at Wrestle Kingdom since Wrestle Kingdom 4 10 years ago when it was Nakamura. So just with that stat and how they keep going back to the well of their two aces, uh, there's always going to be, at least in my mind, that seed of doubt. Um, and then uh, at the end of the day, one thing I'm really looking forward to is uh, one thing that really killed Naito in that first match was he went for... He went for that Phoenix Plex, or sorry, not the Phoenix Plex, the uh, Stardust Press. And I re- and then he went for that last Destino. And those those two elements, I'm wondering how they're going to call those back. And I keep getting reminded of when The Rock and John Cena had their feud. And Cena lost the first match because he went for the People's Elbow. But then he fi- he tried like kind of tried to do it again, but caught himself. And I wonder if Naito uh, kind of utilizes that storyline element in tomorrow night's match. And, and that's something I'm really looking forward to seeing. But at the end of the day, I think it's going to be Naito. It, you can't uh, do what, they, what Gato did two years ago, which ended up being really smart long term, and then build Naito back up for this exact moment and then just uh, crush the fans and... Just just give Naito the moment. You don't have to give him this massive run, but it, you, you got to pay the storyline off. Yeah. So I realize now that the people listening back when I combine it afterwards are already going to know <laughs> what happened, but I guess this is a little speculation. You can find it funny uh, how sure we were. You can dunk. <laughs> You can dunk on it, so right. Like how sure how sure we all were that Naito was winning, except for Tyler, I guess, and then fucking Okada wins. But that'll be funny, I guess. Uh, anyway, so, and we have the millions watching live right now, so yeah, the millions. Um, but yeah, so that's the Naito the double gold dash talk, and then we'll see for tomorrow. We didn't mention, by the way, the losers match is Naito, or I mean, it's Ibushi and uh, Jay White now, the rematch of the G One final which doesn't surprise me. I kind of always thought it was going to be these two matches. Um, I mean, I'll tell you the reason why I thought for sure Okada was winning the main other than the Naito Okada story paying off. It feels, it just felt like doing Jay White, like if they didn't have that losers match, it would be less obvious. But Jay White Okada, like that's going to be like a feud probably for the next decade for that company. I mean, they're both, whether you like them both or not, they're both very young. You know, like 32 and 26 or whatever the hell, J- 27, whatever J-White is. So, I don't know. I just felt like 
they would not put that match. I mean, it, it went from Russell Kingdom to MSG main event to like losers match. I, even at Russell Kingdom, I just thought losers match would not be a good spot to run that back. I think they're saving that either even you know either for like the G one this year or even like for like some other major major match. So it felt it felt like too soon to go back to that. So that was so yeah, Bushi White. You can easily go back to. I don't think anyone's gonna. It doesn't really matter. That's a good point because last year's White Okada match had nothing really attached to it either. So that would be that would have been weird for them to go back to it again with no stakes or stipulations. Yeah. So here in this case, um, you know, we have a Bushi White, and did they ever officially? I you might know, Chris. Did they ever officially say this is the number one contender match? I think they kind of did, right? Like in some official channel. They in all the official channels, they've said that this will be a primary contributor to who gets the first title shot. They haven't called it a number one contenders match, um, which leads me to believe like it's they're going to put someone kind of in that position, but they might have to win another match to mm. to get through. Um, that that seems to be the way they're they're playing this, and and I don't know when that match would happen uh, unless it's New Year Dash, but. Um, they haven't said number one contenders match. Okay, so that's interesting. Um, so let's assume, I guess, for the for thought exercise here, and again, we're predicting something the podcast listeners will already know, so I'll try to keep it short. But let's assume that it is a number one contender match. I think, I think Jay is winning because next month just feels way too soon to do Naito Ibushi. Does anyone think disagree with me? Does anyone think Kota's winning? I mean, I agree with you, but then again, like, why do, like, a rematch at, like, New Beginning, like, where Naito defends against the guy he just beat at Wrestle Kingdom? That feels weird as well. And, like, a fairly cold match as well. Yeah, I mean, I think either way it's going to feel weird, but the Naito-White thing, at least you're not burning off, like, a major, major match. But I don't know. Is it, is I think it... they could go to Ibushi... Um, I think they could go to Ibushi Naito uh, again at that point for the IWGP. I think that would probably be the best match for them to run back since they they did it a bunch at the the first half of this year. Yeah, and I think that um, if that's the blow off, um, whether I think that also can create some speculation that maybe Naito doesn't hold that belt forever. Uh, maybe maybe it is a, a quick run, and I think Ibushi is the guy that you think is is due for that title run, uh, as well as Naito. Like those are the two guys that I think are um, primed for it right now. Yeah, and I, that is. A I good mean, point. unless Naito isn't winning, and then they do Okada versus White at New Beginning. Uh, the only thing I want to say about Naito Ibushi, the, I mean, the, the like, let's okay, it, it would invite speculation that Naito. Um, you know, is going to lose about a month. So I guess that's good to have a title match where you feel like the other guy could win. But if you assume Naito isn't going to lose about a month, is that not, it? That kind of feels like too many big losses for Coda in a row. That's my problem with it. Like he loses, he blows it against Okada yes. on one four, and then he just loses to Naito next month again. It just feels a little, little too much for him. I don't know, Chris. Do you disagree? Yes, I. I... I don't. I. I don't know. I mean, I. To to me, I, they've got to. They've got to start getting some other people into this picture, mm. and I don't know how they can do that before new beginning. So, um, I mean, 
they've they've hotshotted people before in that way, but I still think that one of these guys is going to get the title shot back at a new beginning. See now what you say so, is, what you say is interesting about getting new people and I think one of the the strongest aspects of a Naito title reign right now is to me he has like a million fresh opponents potentially. Well, that's what I mean. Yeah. That's right. I I mean outside of this these four. Right. So I think that's why I would be really surprised if we lose the code next month because if you look at it from Naito from the perspective of Naito like I think he just has so many opponents that I think, you know, I'm not saying he has to have the title all, all year, but I think he easily has enough opponents to, to get through Dominion. Or to get oh, through so yeah. I'm not saying that Naito, uh, Naito's included in that, like, let's get new guys in here. I right. think Naito could have a really great run against all sorts of fresh competitors, um, including some guys that are in LIJ with him. Yeah. I think they could, they could build some really interesting stories that way too so i don't i don't know i mean it's it's tough to book um whatever 30 days out yeah um when you're you've got all four of your guys already involved in the title picture right now there's no kind of incumbent that makes any sense that they haven't already run back so i'm sure we'll talk about this tomorrow too once we know for sure who won the top two matches but i will give you one other reason right now why i think uh their Nigel's holding at least through like April and this is a good transition to the next match we have to talk about 42 minutes in here it's been a long time on these matches so um I think like Naito and Hiromu is definitely the anniversary show main event the heavyweight champion versus the junior champion and I just think that that's probably like one of the first things they penciled in for this Naito reign so you know, I think that's you know, the traditional heavyweight versus junior champion main event they do at the anniversary show many years. So I think that just makes way too much sense to not do that, uh, you know, first time ever match. But I don't know if anyone disagrees with that. But oh, I think you're right, John. And I think one element we're forgetting about the new beginning uh, title defense is it's probably going to end up being an Osaka Joe Hall because they're they're running that instead of the editing on arena and I wonder who they might put in that spot just because you're gonna you have a 12,000 seat building to fill rather than something a little smaller like eight all right so I guess we'll say uh yeah and I do agree that Naito will hold the title until Dominion because I don't know if that really been a thing but i think they kind of teased that, that dominion might be like in the dome in osaka this year mm. and you need like a really big match to like fill that and i think like the the match where naito might potentially lose the bell to ibushi ibushi might be at dominion there yeah so there you go that's all that talk so now we can transition to the junior title match which you know as we just mentioned obviously Hiromu is the new iwgp junior heavyweight champion uh he beat will osprey in a really incredible match um i couldn't quite go the full five just because um like some of the osprey neck offense stuff kind of dragged for me even though it totally made sense the story they told but like to me full five you have to like love every almost every single second of a match and you know there was a little bit that dragged but like it was still four and three quarters like just an absolutely incredible match um you know, there were so many sequences in this match where, like, with two guys who were nowhere near as smooth, and even with Will sometimes with a opponent that can't play into 
what Will does well and what Will doesn't do well, which, you know, I think is there's a lot there in both aspects. I think there were a couple sequences that could have looked really fucking corny, but because these two are so good and so good together as opponents, it ended up looking fantastic. I'm thinking specifically of that, like, crazy, like, dive in and out of the ring spot where, like, you know, Hiromu, like, counters a dive into a German and Will flips and lands on his feet and, like, jumps back in the ring and it goes on and on and on. Like, that could have looked really stupid with two worst wrestlers, but it looked just, they pulled it off absolutely perfectly and, you know, it looked amazing. Um, and again, this is another one where I would have said going in that Osprey uh, was losing for sure. But first of all, because they did such a great job of the build of on those Corican shows of putting in my head, like, you know, maybe they just fucking tell the story that, like, Hiromu came back too soon and just wasn't quite ready to beat Will here. And, you know, they maybe he has to come back and beat him later after winning Best of Super Junior or something. I mean, they got me on that, like, especially that Ozcutter. I, like, I even though I should have known in my brain that he would have to hit the Stormbreaker to win, like, I almost had a heart attack. I really thought Hiromu was getting pinned there. Um, but yeah, and then Will obviously comes back, uh, you know, takes the time bomb and kicks out, and then we get a brand new finisher, um, that looks sort of like a, I don't know, like a wrist, is it like a wrist clutch, wrist clutch, like time bomb, sort of, or like a, I don't know what to call it, it was very weird, but it looked awesome, it looked like a sick neck bump, as you'd expect from a Hiromu finisher, so, yeah, this was incredible, four and three quarters, uh, definitely a match of the night for me, and, absolutely lived up to the you know considerable hype what did you think of this one chris i liked it but i have watched a lot of osprey's 2019 matches when i was looking at my my top 10 of the year and i don't think this lived up to shingo um so like that's kind of where i'm comparing it is like that's that's the level i wanted this to get to and i just it just never it never got there for me um i think it was i think it was a great match but i I wanted it i guess i wanted another five minutes on it to be honest and like i but i'm a sucker for the long stuff um i'm a sucker for these guys getting exhausted and tired and 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 you know like like we saw in, in the main event so um to go 25 is is solid and strong and i think it was crisp and smooth and good um and they they worked the neck uh hiromu and they got some cool uh really awesome good new spots in but um i wanted that exhaustion factor to, to play in and I, I just didn't i didn't feel that i didn't feel that like really intense build in that last couple of minutes that's interesting i didn't i didn't expect that because the I feel like the social media and everything, the Slack and everything was like just so positive. I thought people were going to crucify me for not going five. <laughs> but yeah, that's interesting. They didn't have it that high. I like this better than Osprey Shingo, but I was at four and a half. I guess I was one of the lower ones on Osprey Shingo. Um, what did you Yeah, think? Osprey Shingo like hit me in the soul. So yeah. I, I, uh, I'm, I'm probably, I, if I was doing stars, I'd probably be the high man on that uh, anywhere I go. And yeah. that's a match that, that people enjoyed quite a bit. Yeah, I think a lot of people had it five. And it, it ran away with the poll that we did in the ebook for match of the year. So most people have it higher than I did, but which is saying something for a match I still went four and a half stars on. Uh, Tyler, what did you think of Osprey and Hiromu? I thought this was an absolutely fantastic match. Uh, 
I went the full five on it. I really liked the very beginning when the bell rang and uh, at, at the first cork and the road two, uh, they just went at each other for about two minutes. And at the very beginning, Hiromu uh, ran at Osprey like he was going to jump him. And then they kind of just settled into their match. And that uh, Will did a fantastic job. Uh, I know it kind of bothered you, John, the, all the next stuff really building up to that hidden blade where it just looked like he murdered Hiromu, which I thought was uh, one of the best spots I've seen in quite a while. I j- I'm just a sucker for the hidden blade. It's, it's a fantastic move. And like, just uh, what was really interesting is when he went for the Stormbreaker, I don't know what Osprey was trying to do. He got him in the Stormbreaker, and then he looked like he was going for like the gory special. And then... Uh, the, I, I've never seen him do that, and then Hiromu hit that, uh, like that uh, standing sunset uh, flip bomb, and uh, that was really weird. Uh, but overall, these guys just had a fantastic match. They were just going back and forth, um, beating the piss out of each other, and it it all made sense. Uh, it wasn't just two guys doing moves. They were just uh, they built a story around the neck, and Hiromu trying to. Uh, figure himself out still while he's uh, in the midst of his comeback. And I really liked Hiromu's new finish. It kind of looked like a combination of like time bomb. And then uh, like the bastard driver where it just drops him right on the back of the neck. And I thought that was fantastic. I will uh, say, I hope they keep I, it as like an ultimate finisher. I hope he doesn't start doing it in every match. Cause that look, that's a pretty bad bump to take in every goddamn <laughs> match. Hiromu wins. I, I was, I'm a little surprised that they used uh, the Tokyo Dome to debut a new finisher because of that exact fact. Like uh, we talked about it with uh, ok- Okada and Ibushi. Like you don't want your ace taking all these crazy neck bumps, but when you get to the Tokyo Dome, it's your absolute biggest show of the year, and you got to deliver. You're going to do more than you normally would, mm-hmm. and uh, debuting a finisher that you're not going to use consistently, like. To me, that's a little bit of a questionable decision if that ends up being the case. Like, that's something you maybe want to uh, build up something like, hey, we're going to keep using the time bomb and then we're going to use this ultra finisher in order to uh, finish a uh, guy off. So uh, it's uh, it remains to be seen how they're going to utilize it. But uh, I'm just glad Hiromu's back. He's still fucking great. Yeah, I mean, I, said, I tweeted it during the match, but I think he was... Like, when he went down injury, I thought he was the best wrestler in the world. And I didn't really think it was close. Like, I didn't think anyone else was really close to his level. Uh, but in, like, you know, June 2018. So, this was obviously a very, uh, you know, a very strong first performance to, to show that he can get right back on that level. I mean, I think he's going to have an incredible Juju title reign. You know, he's got matches set up for Desperado. You know, with Dre- Ryu Lee now, Dre- the ex-Dragon Lee. Uh, probably some under the radar ones like Taiji Ishimori because from that incredible uh, Best of Super Junior final that was like my my actual match of the year last year, um, and well now, well now two years ago I guess twenty eighteen, and on top of that like I just said I think he's going to be set up for a really incredible match with Naito at the anniversary show that should be just really emotional on top of being a really incredible first time match so. Uh, Paul, what did you think of Osprey and Hiromu? Yeah, to me, that was easily the match of the night. I mentioned before where uh, with Okada and Ibushi, I was like, 
jumping up and down for the finish. For this match, I was legitimately for the last five minutes just pacing up and down my living room, just going crazy for everything. And I just loved the match. This was exactly what I wanted out of both men. And this is probably like it's easily the match of the night I sent before. And it's probably going to be the front runner for match of the year for me for a good while as well. I mean, obviously, now that Hiromu has the title, like this. He's probably going to defend the title against Dragon Lee at some point. And that's probably going to be a match that potentially could rival this. And then obviously we still have Champion Carnival coming up and G1 and everything. But still, like I, there has to be like a special match from, uh, for me that it really has to be able to beat this match. So uh, Osprey just continues on strong as he did in the last year as well. And maybe on the Thing that Tyler said on debuting a new finisher in the dome is normally I would agree with it, especially if it kind of isn't clear that it is going to be the finish and then the finish afterwards, like the ending of the match can feel a little bit flat. But I think in this case, I would disagree with it because it was so obvious to me and I think everyone in the crowd as well that this was the finish. Like, everyone just looked at that move that Hiromu hit on Osprey there, and everyone was immediately clear, like, that's the end of the match, and he's not kicking out from that. So that's why I think it actually was kind of a good idea to debut it here, to really properly establish it as, like, this is, like, Hiromu's, like, this is his burning hammer, this is his big match finish. He won't break it out every time, but if he does, the other guy's not kicking out of it. Yeah, I totally agree that it's a great place to debut a move like that. I just hope that they really are. It really is going to be like his burning hammer that he only uses occasionally. I don't want it to be like his. Uh, like I think it's just too sick of a move for him to just like replace the time bomb with this move as like a daily finisher. So I guess we'll see. Uh, but yeah, so he had teased. Uh, he had teased in in something I read um, that he had something new to show everyone too. Yeah. So it. I think anyone who was really plugged in probably had a thought that he was going to bust something else out to, to take Osprey out. Yeah. I guess we've forgotten about the D, the, uh, the submission hold thing. He didn't really even tease it, which I was a little surprised by. Maybe he just isn't, is into the, the triangle choke anymore. Uh, okay. So we can move down then to the IWGP US heavyweight title, the Texas death match with Archer and Moxley. Um, I thought this was really quite good. Um, you know, just there's a couple things I took a little issue with, like, uh, you know, the they did a few too many of the standing 10 counts for me. Uh, you know, the standing 10 counts, like the um, the Osprey... Uh, not the Osprey. Sorry, I lost my train of thought from a pop-up. Uh, they did a, a few too many of the standing 10 counts, like the WWE last fan standing matches. Um, you know, I, I thought they were doing a good job avoiding them at first, but they, there were a few too many down the stretch and there were parts that were a little sloppy, like Archer falling off the top rope, which I don't think was intentional. Although they, they covered for it really well. Moxie, like immediately swinging the kendo stick. So that's good. But, uh, there were a few other sloppy moments. Uh, I didn't really like Archer selling, especially not when Moxley, uh, went for that cross arm breaker, which was a really cool moment, you know, fucking Dean Ambrose doing a cross arm breaker in the middle of the Tokyo Dome but I wish Archer had sold it a little better which uh, took it down a little bit but you know these are like my complaints whereas the rest of the match were was just like a ton of six spots a really cool brawl just like 
beating the piss out of each other. Uh, just, you know, the, the, the big spots were all really cool looking and didn't take too long to set up, which can always be a problem in these type of, like, hardcore matches. And the finisher looked, you know, the finish with the, the double arm DDT through the two tables, that was really sick. Archer trying to murder him with a plastic bag was, like, just one of those really, really, like, one of the spots that's simultaneously funny but also somehow really cool. So that really worked for me. And I went four stars flat on it by the end. Uh, a pretty awesome match with a few, I think, major flaws, but still definitely delivered. Uh, what do you think of the U.S. title match, Chris? As this type of match goes, like a, uh, I guess, really a last man standing. Like no one was really trying to submit anyone. Um, this was this is up there for me. Um, I think you're right. Like they did a lot of the the couple of standing 10 counts and everyone gets up at nine and blah, 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 blah. You know, like, I mean, it's just, it's the old trope of the, this style of match, but when it comes down to it, like you're right, like the, the spots didn't take forever to set up. They were natural. It was all like stuff that would be around the ring. And, you know, Moxley came out and just started pulling chairs out from under the ring. And like, that's like normal stuff. It's not like a, you know, death match arts and crafts thing. So like this, as this type of match goes, um, I think they 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 hit the nail right on the head. Um, it got just the right amount of time, you know. It went a little less than fifteen, I think. And um, Archer was was brilliant in this match. I think Archer and his kind of ability to be the big guy, but also be the um, be someone that people are people are kind of rooting for. Um, I think that that's like a, a really interesting nuance with with a guy that is really just ascending up into that kind of kind of role of of working by himself. So um, I liked it. I I think I tweeted or I put in the chat something something about the, the 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 fact that I think that this is this is the match that Moxley wanted to have with Kenny. This mm-hmm. is the type of like brutal hardcore match that Moxley wants to have, not these like super laid out, you know big arduous spots so i think this was this was right up his alley and i think archer uh joined him on that on that trip really well i'm glad you brought that up because i definitely thought it was funny that archer had a better match with moxie than kenny i mean i liked the kenny uh moxie match but i was like three and three quarters on that so i went a quarter star higher here so lance archer better than kenny omega confirmed Part of it's probably just that the the Kenny match went forever, and this yeah. got the right amount of time. Yeah. Um. This and it was placed well on the card. I actually would have I would have liked this, um, because you had you had a couple of like plotters throughout the card. So you had the Jay White Naito match that was just gonna it was gonna be a different pace, and you had this match. And I think, um, you know, if you're looking at the card to put Will and Hiromu between those two matches is is good, but it, it did detract, I think, from from the Naito White piece. So it was a matter of like which match you thought could sustain it, because I don't think you could put those two matches back to back, the the White um Naito and Moxley Archer. Right. Uh what did you think, Tyler? Tyler? Oh, did we lose Tyler? Okay. Uh, I see he has like a big red. Uh, oh, okay. I think he's back. Tyler, what do you? Yeah, think? I'm. I'm back. Um, I loved this match. I had it at four and a half. And what was really nice about this is I kind of have, uh, 
I don't like last man standing matches um, for the most part. I really liked uh, the one that uh, Triple H and Shawn Michaels had the Royal Rumble back in like 04 because they were just in the midst of a blood feud and I thought it worked really well. But this, uh, having that element in it, I, it never felt uh, like it was super laid out. Uh, it felt like a good match that involved weapons rather than a weapons match that involved wrestling. And they did a really good job not contriving spots. Everything flowed really well. They even covered for that botch, as you mentioned earlier, John. And it was really cool at the end where Moth Rider, uh, they got that really good shot at the very end where Archer's trying to get up, and there's the accidental blood on his arm. Uh, for the flaws that we saw tonight with the camera work where they completely missed uh, Okada's new trunks reveal uh, during the main event and a couple other instances like that shot was the epitome of what kind of match they had. It was, it was just brutal. Uh, They beat the crap out of each other and uh, for a match, it really could have went anywhere from like low twos to where I had it at four and a half. I've really thought it delivered and these guys worked very hard to deliver a match that they wanted to. And uh, John Moxley living out his uh, wrestling nerd fantasies by winning a, a title match in the Tokyo Dome, I thought was a really cool moment considering he was doing clown shit just a few months ago. Yeah. No, I hear you. Uh, Paul, what did you think of the U.S. Heavyweight Championship? So I guess I'm going to be the dissenting opinion on this. This didn't work for me at all and I guess it's just that I just don't like last man standing matches at all and I I suppose if this one didn't work for me then none of them will work for me uh, I just felt that the standing 10 count just took me out of the match pretty much every single time I think there was literally only one that worked for me which was when uh, Moxley collapsed back to the mat at like 8 and then men just barely managed to get up at 10 and I think that was also the one that got like the biggest reaction from the crowd. And I think it's just that with both kind of setting up the spots for kind of the the crazy bumps through the chairs and through the tables and everything, that already kind of breaks the flow of the match. And if you combine that with the standing 10 counts as well, which break the flow of the match as well, I think that was just a little bit too much for me. There was just too much downtime where nothing was really happening so to say and I, I liked the match well enough like whenever they were just like kind of in their wrestling and kind of both men I really liked both men in 2019 and was actually all ready to like get on here and to kind of eat crow after I buried Lance Archer after he after he uh, won against Will Ospreay in the New Japan Cup and I kind of buried him uh, in my review on Voices of Wrestling but and like I said, both men had like really tremendous 2019 overall, but this match just, it just didn't work for me at all. And maybe I hope that, but I'm sure that both men will have like better matches down the line. Yeah. I think it would have just worked better as a just straight up hardcore match. And I think in that case, I actually would have liked the match. Mm. Um, okay, so let's blow through the remaining four matches because I'm very tired <laughs> all of a sudden. Uh, and I think we've covered the stuff people actually care about. Um, so let's go through the IWGP tag team titles. 
Um, I mean, this was... I didn't really like this that much. I saw some people thought it was a little bit better. But I was like uh, two and three quarters on it by the end. It just kind of landed for me where a lot of G.O.D. matches landed. It was good by the end, but not really like the best match ever before that. I don't know. Any any thoughts on this real quick, Chris? I like that they continued the trend of flipping the tag titles on Wrestle Kingdom. I think that Juice and Finlay will bring a little bit of a different energy to the tag team championships. But as the match in ring goes, yeah, it, I liked the the last two matches of World Tag Leagues uh, significantly more than, than this match. Uh, anything to add, Tyler? I went three and a quarter on it. Everything was fine, but G.O.D. is just boring. They they don't really bring anything to the table. Uh, they It just is what it is. I really like that uh, Juice and Finley have brought some new life to the uh, pretty much a dead tag division. And maybe we can see uh, Zach and Taichi, Dangerous Techers, uh, challenge them and maybe try and build something there. Um, but I think we'd be remiss if we didn't talk about, uh, Juice's new look. Like he looked like one of the village people <laughs> and that handle, that handlebar mustache, it was, was something. And it, it's just, just being juice. And that's, it, it just makes him great. He's, he's just himself and he gives zero fucks. Yeah. Uh, what do you think, Paul, of the tag team championship of the world? Yeah, it was a GOD match, just like every other GOD match, I suppose. I'm happy that Finn just won the titles, and finally, maybe we'll get like some new stuff, some new challenges as well, and maybe for once, finally, we'll get like a actually interesting tag division in uh, heavyweight tag division in New Japan. Uh, I have. One thing I was really happy about was David Finley getting the pin as well at Wrestle Kingdom. I think that was like easily his biggest win. And I think he was the one that got the pin in World Tag League as well, right? So it seems like they're really trying to elevate him, which I'm very happy about. Yeah, so it makes... I mean, I think he, he's definitely deserved it. So I'm, glad, I'm happy for him too. Uh, so that, before we move on to the other undercard matches... I guess really quickly for tomorrow, does anyone think Juice is going to beat Moxley or are we getting Juice two belts? Because I, I figured he was until he won that tag, they won that tag title match and now it just feels weird that, you know, Naito probably is going to close the show with the, this big hyped up two belt thing and Juice Robinson is just also going to be a double champion, but I assume that's what's going to happen. I'm know. intrigued. Yeah, I, uh, I I agree with you, um, but if they've got more dates with Moxley, um, everyone assumes that this U.S. title's got to come back to America for the uh, New Japan of America shows. Um, but I think by with Juice Juice and Finn Juice and Finley have a, a big role in the the press for that. Um, so I'm assuming that they're on that first tour. So I mean, potentially they could just be really leaning on the tag team champions. Um, so if they've got another date or two already kind of plotted out with Moxley, it wouldn't surprise me if he holds on to it yeah. um, and looks yeah. strong. What, I, what I'm actually curious about is, like, obviously, you probably wouldn't need the title itself because I think the shows they announced for, like, the earlier part of the year are generally, I think, smaller shows, so I think they should be fine filling those buildings. 
But weren't there reports that like Moxley has an outclass at AEW in the summer? Mm. So I'm curious, like if he like retains the title and then maybe keeps holding it for a little while longer, where if he has an outclass and maybe he's already made up his mind that he's going to leave, then I think that would be like the perfect person to like build New Japan of America around. Yeah. I'm also really intrigued if uh, like obviously we keep hearing rumors, especially since Dave. Meltzer nonstop brings it up if there ends up being a partnership with AEW and New Japan and if that ends up being the case with if Moxley holds his title after tomorrow do they allow him to work shows in the US and how th- that might end up working so if there ends up being a partnership uh, I think that that'll be really interesting to see how that plays out as well I mean if they, I, I think that's the only real chance there is a partnership honestly is if uh, AEW backs off that you know, demand not to have any of their wrestlers appear on New Japan of America shows because I don't see what. I mean, look, this show we didn't even mention it did forty thousand plus. It did a bigger number than last year did, and you know, obviously this year has two domes. So, you know, they clearly don't need don't need any of these people, especially not the elite folks in Japan. Uh, maybe it would be nice to have, you know, all the the AW folks in America, and that would I'm sure help them draw. But, you know, I think that's really the major thing of value, honestly, as far as any negotiation goes. But I still wouldn't hold my breath either way. Um, okay, the two eight-man tags. I can sum these up in two seconds. The Bullet Club versus Chaos 8-man I thought was pretty bad. I only went two stars on it. It just was absolutely nothing. Uh, the Suzuki Goon LIJ tag I liked a lot more. Um, there was, like, a really, really awesome... Shingo Taichi exchange, which was really really fun, and was about the the big thing that made the, that match worthwhile. Uh, so I went like three and a quarter. It was a good little match, but uh, I definitely you know don't um, you know what's the word I'm looking for? I don't re- I don't re- regret watching that match, whereas I definitely did regret watching the Bullet Club uh, versus uh, Chaos Eight Man. Uh, do you have any thoughts? Let's not understate Yoshihashi's first uh, Tokyo Dome victory that happened on accident. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> he is now just... one and eight. Yeah. He is off the off the schneid, and I think this will propel Yoshihashi to more average things. <laughs> I think, by the way, we just had trouble on the live stream, so I'm sorry if you're listening and we just cut out for a second there, but uh, hopefully you're still with us. Uh, of course, it won't matter for people listening back to the podcast. It'll all be uninterrupted, thankfully. But yeah, if you're listening to the live stream now still, I apologize for that little interruption there. Um, but yeah, it, just just one, one eight-man tag that was good and one that was bad. That's pretty much all there is to say, I think. And yes, congratulations to Yoshi Hashtag's first Tokyo Dome victory. It, it's, it was so bizarre to see him pop up at ninth in that uh, top ten in that ebook. It was really something, but... I guess it just it is it is something. <laughs> it just kind of happens uh, sometimes, I guess. Uh, Tyler, do you want anything to say about these two eight bands? They existed. They're fine. Uh, I think there's a, a couple really cool points that I wanted to mention. Chase Owens finally got on, on to uh, the main card of Wrestle Kingdom, and he definitely earned that. I loved the spot in the Bullet Club tag where with Ishii and Fale where Ishii de- de- got to deliver the brain buster to Fale. I thought that was really cool. 
And then at the end of the LIJ Suzuki Goon tag, uh, you had like some uh, chatter between the Suzuki Goon and LIJ guys, but Suzuki just disappeared. It, they didn't show him on camera. He wasn't with his uh, faction mates. He was just gone. And in the post match presser, apparently uh, Suzuki wasn't with uh, Despi's DSJ or Kaichi. So that. With all the rumors of Suzuki going to Noah, that's going to be something to definitely monitor tomorrow and on Monday at New Year's Dash. Yeah, that's interesting. I guess, well, again, if you're listening back to the episode, you you might know how that went ahead of us. Uh, it's the magic of recording these both live. Uh, anything to add on these two stupid tags, Paul? Uh, no, but if Suzuki goes to Noah, then I hope he teams up with Hideki Suzuki as the Suzuki brothers. <laughs> okay, sure. Uh, the opener of the main card, the Liger 8-man. This was, I thought, quite a bit better than some... I don't know if I, I could say how I was expecting. I thought this was going to be good from the jump. I saw some folks basically thinking this was going to be like really, really rough, and I was like, I, I don't know, I never got it, because like, all these people are still active. Uh, you know, they definitely could go to varying degrees, but there were enough people in there that could still go that I thought the match was always going to be fine. And it was a good match. I went three and a half stars, you know. It was better than either one of these other eight-man tags. But uh, I had a great deal of fun with it. Um, you know, there was a moment where Fujinami tagged in and only was in there for like half a second, but just went through all of his, you know, little technical wrestling spots and I was marking out. So that was really fun. Uh, great Sasuke of all people try to send Tom Bomb off the top rope because that man does not care how old he is. He's just nuts. So yeah, I don't know. I want to give a big, a big boo to all the people who acted like these folks were all going to die in there. I thought they did not embarrass themselves. I thought they looked great. So uh, I don't, anything that you want to add about this one, Chris? I re- I enjoyed it. It was fun. Um, I liked all the little spots. It was well laid out, and um, they got in, got out, and did their stuff. And it was all about Liger, and that was that was the point. So I loved it. I had a had a great time with it. It was a it was actually a really good opener. Um, if they had a, a way of of building a match like this every year, that would be interesting and fun. Like this, I would be all about it. Tyler, anything you want to add here? The biggest takeaway I got from this match was. Uh, that tiger mask looked the best out of anybody like the uh, uh the dive that uh, he did off the top rope onto the floor he looked like he was about 15 years younger and i he, he he just looked really good and i was really impressed by that and of course liger is the least selfish wrestler probably of all time yeah. and he's like oh, I'm, I'm, I'm going surprised. out i want to get pinned by taguchi <laughs> I'm, like, okay. I'm surprised it was taguchi yeah like, it, it would make more sense if he would have picked a younger junior, but obviously that's tomorrow. Yeah. Um, I, I thought he would get pin, pinned by Sano. Yeah. Well, I guess he figured give it to a roster member at least. Yeah. Uh, Paul, anything you want to add about the lagger tag? Yeah, so anyone actually in that match, anyone that was actually scared that any of the men in that match would actually get hurt clearly doesn't watch enough like Japanese indies or Japanese wrestling outside of New Japan. Because I have seen uh, in his late 70s, Story Funk Jr. doing spinning toe holes in about, I think, one meter an hour speed. 
And so this was clearly not on that level. So I think everyone did well. And I think it was just a nice nostalgia trip. It was exactly what this match was supposed to be. And I've got no complaints. And then obviously the big goodbye Liger match is the match tomorrow where you really properly pass the torch to the next generation. Yep. So that's... Uh, and tomorrow, obviously, it's we, we haven't actually done the match, but it's Liger and Naoki Sano against Ryu Lee and Hiromu. So that'll be interesting, I assume. Either Hiromu or Ryu Lee is going to get the pin, but, you know. If, if Liger could, like, take a... If someone could take a brick and, like, hit Liger in the head and then drag Liger on top of their body just so you could get a fucking pinfall, that would have been cool. But, uh, <laughs> wasn't going to happen because that was the only way you could get Liger to actually pin somebody. He just would never do it otherwise. Uh, and the two dark matches, I don't know if there's much to say about them. They, they existed. Anyone have, absolutely got to throw some hot takes in there about <laughs> those two dark matches. I mean, to- Toa Hanari got the pin, so he's already doing he's already doing better this year than last. That's true. Uh, I, I got. I know one... that's a proper hot take, but Kyle Fredericks has a lot of talent. Yeah, yeah. So hot take there. Yeah, speaking of Fredericks, uh, Charlton made a point that the first match of the 2010s uh, had Okada in it, and then the first match of the 2020s had Carl Fredericks in it. So uh, we've all been able to telegraph that they love Carl Fredericks and they see a huge future for him, but this just uh, proves that point even more. Yeah. All right, folks, uh, let's wrap it up there. I'm very tired. Uh, we're going to come back tomorrow. If you listened all the way through, th- first of all, thank you. If you listen live all the way through, I you know really appreciate it. We had people jumping in and out, but some of you did stay all the way to the end. So thank you for listening. Um, We'll be back tomorrow with our Wrestle Kingdom 14 Night 2 reaction. Uh, well, me, me, Paul, and uh, Chris are going to be back tomorrow. And then Gerard is tagging in for Tyler. So Gerard, another VOW contributor. So that's what's going on there. Uh, I'm not going to do... Well, actually, Tyler, go ahead and do plugs because you're not going to be back tomorrow. So go ahead. <laughs> yeah, I uh, appreciate that, John. Um, I... Uh, not only contribute for voice of wrestling, but I do have my own uh, football website called uh, coast to coast scouting at CC scouting.com. I just released a two round mock draft and we just got credentialed to cover the senior bowl for uh, NFL draft prospects. So uh, give us a look if you're a football fan and uh, we have a lot of fun with it and uh, it's uh, definitely some good stuff. All right. And Chris and uh, Paul to be clear, cause you're coming on tomorrow You'll plug your stuff at the end. Yeah, tomorrow. just just yeah. one quick thing, John, okay. before we sign off. Yeah, it's uh, just want to give one quick shout out, shout out to Damon Abraham from the Super J Cast of managing to fall asleep during the dome, <laughs> drank too many strong zeros. He probably um, didn't want people to know that. Uh, I'm pretty yeah. sure. I'm pretty sure Joel put that. Joel put it. Yeah, so Joel, I think everyone Joel put knows. It, Joel put it in the chat. So, like at that point, you can't really uh, <laughs> you can't really claim, you know the privacy like you said right there joel damon fell asleep and dropped his beer and now my bag smells like beer bad damon that's right there in the chat <laughs> so there you go uh it's not like the, the the youtube chat i mean but yeah so well i'll be back tomorrow uh and then obviously it'll be combined into one so if you're you're listening to the podcast uh do the magic of audio it'll be night two coming up in just a second if you're listening live, thank you again for joining us, and we hope you'll come back to the same exact place tomorrow for our Night 2 Instant Reaction, where hopefully I will be jubilant having just seen Naito win the double titles, or 
I will be despondent having just see how to hit another goddamn Rainmaker. So, thank you again for listening, and see you tomorrow for the Night 2 live stream. saying this really in the middle of the episode if you're listening back via podcast if you're listening live uh welcome to day two of our wrestle kingdom 14 instant reaction stream uh thank you for joining us here at 5 30 a.m eastern time um i'm gonna try to get through this because i'm honestly even more exhausted uh than i was yesterday but like you know physically exhausted emotionally exhausted just all kinds of exhausted but thank you if you're listening live uh there is a live chat same as yesterday if you want to share anything any feedback whatever you know we might read it on the air so that's a cool feature being live on youtube but definitely uh check us check that out one little note um i said yesterday or at the end of the same episode if you're listening back that paul would be tagging out uh, Paul actually couldn't join us today, so Tyler came back instead. So Tyler, who plugged all his stuff, is still here anyway. So uh, welcome back, Tyler. Uh, thanks, John. It's good to be back. Uh, and also back again is Chris Samsa. Hello, hello. And then tagging in is Gerard DiTrolio, for also from Voice of Wrestling. Uh, this is one of the most thrilling nights of my life. <laughs> it's so, it was so good. I mean, I can't really... I, I don't know. I, mean, I can't really beat around the. I know some people are really mad about the, uh, the Kenta thing. I guess so. If you are, that's I don't want to like take that away. I get, I get why some Naito fans will be really mad, but I I can't imagine like being that angry after witnessing that because he didn't get to say he didn't get to say Dehapon. I mean, I get it, but also I don't get it. I guess as best I can say, like I'm still on such a cloud nine that like that Kenta attack was just like. <laughs> I mean, I, it, it, I will say right now, I get, I totally get why they did that. Um, you know, I said it in the Voice of the Wrestling Slack pretty much immediately. I think they are afraid that Naito's hardcore fans who have been waiting for this moment, you know, literally for like, you know, at least two years, some of them for like three and a half years. I think there's probably a fear that like, if you give him, you know, you finally give him that moment after like stringing the stringing us, I mean, I, you know, consider myself a Naito fan, stringing us along, you know, day and day and day and day out, you know, day in and day out, that when you finally deliver that and they finally get, give you that moment, is that the moment where a bunch of these fans are just like, well, 
I finally saw Naito get his moment. I don't really need to keep watching at this point. So they wanted to have you go off, I guess, with like that heat, you know, like you know, uh, you're you're pissed off that Kenta laid him out before you could finish the roll call, and you want to see him get his revenge or whatever. I think they just wrote, like didn't want to take any chances and want to make sure people had a hook to come back. So I get it, but I'm not really. I don't know, like like Kenta giving him a go to sleep. I can't really uh, muster up a lot of outrage after uh, you know what I just witnessed. Matt or Gerard, you're also a big Naito fan. How did you feel any differently? Did did that like really bother you at the end? I uh, no, it didn't bother me at all. I mean, although like as as soon as uh, uh, Sonata lost, I thought the ending was going to be a little different than I expected because I think a lot of us expected like the uh, full gold roll call, mm-hmm. but uh, that didn't happen. So, however, uh, despite that, I thought they covered it pretty well, though all things considered. Yeah, I mean, it doesn't. You know, I, I, I get why they did it. Um, I'm not really, I don't really have any great, like, outrage about it. So, you know, I guess I feel, I guess I should have had somebody here who was, like, really upset about it. But, uh, you know, I just don't, I don't have any anger about it, really. That's pretty much all I can say about that. Uh, as far as the match, I mean, it's, that was an absolutely incredible match. I think the best of the entire weekend uh, you know, I, I recognize I am very biased, but I mean, that was, that was one of those matches when the moment it was over, like I had zero doubt that that was like a five-star match. And I think that was the best one the two of them ever did. Uh, I think it's up there for Naito's all-time best and Okada's all-time best and just incredible match, uh, you know, built incredibly well, pretty much from start to finish. And, uh, I don't, I don't know. I don't, I don't really even know what the flaws with it would be. I mean, they didn't blow anything. It was paced just incredibly well. There was, so, I mean, we're, I'm going to go through like all of my favorite spots in it because, you know, I think that it deserves that. And you know, I think my voice is even a little gone just from uh, these two days, so I apologize for that. But yeah, I, I just, it really was just an incredible, incredible match. And I'm probably going to use that word a lot, but like, you know, e- even though I, I think I intellectually knew that Naito had to win this, you know, they got me several times and they really got that seed of doubt planted really, really early. And, you know, by the end of it, I really was like on the edge of my seat and I was, you know, jumping up and down like an idiot at five in the morning. In I thought uh, I thought tonight was actually a better uh, seed of doubt than last night uh, in terms of, oh, oh is Okada going to win? And I thought actually Abushi was going to win a lot more than uh, he ended up doing with some of those spots too. Yeah. I mean they for sure they they the seat of that was way bigger tonight than last day. I mean they there was no there was no moment during that Naito White match where I ever thought Naito was gonna lose that match. So and I think part of that's also just because, you know, I could see in my head I could see Naito losing on night two, but I didn't see any way they would just job him to Jay White a third straight time. But part of it's also just the way the matches were structured uh, you know, just Jay White took so much of that match that, um, you know, Naito, I just think if Naito had lost that, he would have looked like the world's biggest jobber. Whereas tonight, I mean, this was structured much more back and forth. And also, like, Naito even got the better of Okada a lot. And I think it's because the story they were trying to tell, I, which we'll go, uh, you know, I think we'll go over, it, they they were not afraid to have Naito just look like the better man a lot of the stretch. So if 
in other words, if they had done, if they had had Okada win, the match probably would have been structured pretty in a pretty similar way. So you know, because Naito got so much offense along the way. Um, Chris, let's get you in here. What do you think? Like, I guess macro thoughts on the match. Uh, I don't know if you were five stars like I was, but just I thought it was incredible. Did you think it was incredible? Yeah, I, I enjoyed it quite a bit. Um, I I think I enjoyed both main events the same amount, if I were to try to quantify it, but totally differently. So, um, you know, I think the, the pacing was really different in both the matches. I think that um, the the story that they were able to tell in both matches was, was totally different. And I actually think that my my seed of doubt was greater last night. I thought Naito was going to win as soon as they put him in this main event. Um, and, and only for a very brief moment tonight did I think, oh, God, they're doing it again. And they were going to have Okada win. Like, I, I, it just it never got me there. And that the thing about that is, is like normally um, when that happens in a wrestling match, for me, it completely takes me out of it. I'm like, okay, I know he's going to win this and um, I'm not going to have a good time with it. That that wasn't the case tonight. This was such a good, well-performed match, well-paced, enough of the outside stuff, but but mostly in the ring. Um, they, you know, Naito spitting on Okada and Okada just being Okada, like a, being that like confident, arrogant, like yeah, maybe you're gonna win this match, but it's fine kind of guy like i love that character and i love that naito finally got his moments the facials the camera work they nailed it they nailed all of the kind of um high level pro wrestling presentation um and last night you know with ibushi was more about the in-ring you know flashy hard-hitting big moves um and that um, it represented just a, a different way to present really high level pro wrestling. So I think we got, uh, you know, pro wrestling 101 and pro wrestling 102 right at our fingertips over the course of two nights in the Tokyo Dome. Um, Naito winning, I think, was a great moment. And I loved the Kenta um, angle. Like, I was so surprised by it. I thought they were going to give us the send off. I thought we were in good shape. And, um, freaking kenta comes out and just goes goes wild on it so i think that i think it's awesome i think it was surprising who it was you know like they could have they could have trotted jay white out there to do another post-match run-in or whatever but um they didn't they brought out someone different that's that's he's got some heat now um so they're gonna turn that into something and it'll be a great first defense for naito um so i i loved it i loved the post-match angle and and you're right fans will continue clamoring for him to finish that line in the Tokyo Dome. Um, so it gives uh, LIJ some more life uh, ahead of them. So it's good stuff. It was, it was a great weekend. Um, the, the thing, too, the, I, I think, you know, I understand, again, that LIJ, some LIJ fans are really upset. But if I'm looking at it, like, a little more, if you want to look at it a little more, like, rationally, if, as far as if you're hoping for a longer title reign, Kenta as a first challenger in like a attack like that, I mean that's perfect because Kenta's not beating Tetsuya Naito for the double titles, so I mean that basically takes a quickie title right off the table. I think 
So you could look at like that as a positive. Because if, let's say, Ibushi beat Jay White tonight and they were doing Naito Ibushi at New Beginning, I would be scared as a Naito fan that, you know, they're giving him the fucking Tanahashi one month reign. So, I don't know. I'm not, that I'm talking a lot about this kind of thing because I get why, you know, some people were really upset about it. But, like, I just was, like, way too far on cloud nine at that point to really get bothered by him not saying two words. Uh... Tyler, what do you think? Like macro thoughts on the match? Was it? Did you find it to be as good as we're all saying? Did you? Uh, what did you think of the match overall? I don't know if it's going to be my match of the weekend because I I was so enthralled with Okada and Ibushi, but it's right up there. It got five stars from me, and it just uh, macro wise, like the uh, the first New Japan show I ever watched was Wrestle Kingdom twelve, and uh, seeing. Uh, Naito lose there and then understanding how he got there and then where he um, came from just uh, from then on and going into this weekend it was it was really cool to see his evolution and like last year him like regaining the intercontinental title and almost repairing his relationship with it to be able to get to this point I thought was really cool Uh, he showed respect for the titles unlike when he won at an invasion attack a few years back and then the IC title he's always kind of treated with a little bit of disdain but he picked up the titles he held them he set them down nicely and it showed a nice little element of uh, how Naito is growing his character and I thought the match was absolutely fantastic I was surprised that it took Okada about 15 minutes to really start going after the knee especially with how much Jay worked that over last night. Uh, but the table spot was uh, just brilliant. Uh, and then just See, I, growing okay, from okay. that. Can I cut you off really quickly? I think Absolutely, the, go ahead. I think the knee thing, which, you know, I, I think it was very similar to a story they told with Zach and Tanahashi, where Okada was so overconfident to start this match that he did not think he needed to go after the knee. And then as the match went on and Naito gave him like a way bigger fight than he was expecting, then he suddenly like is just like, okay, fuck it. I have to do whatever to, to win this thing. But I, I love that they did that. I'm gonna, when I go through the blow by blow a little bit more, I'm going to talk about, uh, you know, how they laid the match out. But I, I love that they waited instead of just go, immediately having him go right for the knee. Because if you're, if, if you are Kazuchika Okada, you've beaten this guy literally every time you've ever fought him. I mean, why would you think you have to, you know, including at the Dome two years ago. Like, why would you think you have to target a limb <laughs> to, to beat this guy, you know? Like, I think you would just be like, yeah, I'm going to beat him again. I don't need to go after his knee. So that was my thoughts on why they did that. I guess my counter-argument to that would be is he just went through an absolute war the night before with Ibushi where he had to Rainmaker him six times in order to put him away. So even with that arrogance, you could you could argue that, hey – I'm not going to be at 100% because I just went through a war. I'm going to need to be able to go after that limb so I can at least try and make it easier on myself. Right. No, that's fair. I just think that's... I think that was where... I mean, I think they told a really clear story in that match and, like, a really, really good story. So that's what kind of what I want to go, want to go through. I mean, first of all, the, the first 15 minutes, I thought, were... just blew away the first 15 minutes of Okada and Ibushi from last night. And that's why... You know, I have Okada, Naito so far ahead of it, uh, where I felt like nothing much really happened in the first 15 minutes yesterday. You know, here, 
Um, it was just paced so much. Like, they were going at each other right away. You know, there was minimal resting. Like, there was a ton of resting yesterday in the, the first 15 of Okada Ibushi. And, you know, they, they waited that long, like I said, to to reintroduce the knee thing. But they, they sort of told a story where Naito, uh, what I thought was a story anyway, and this is, again, me reading, maybe reading into it, but, you know, I thought the idea was Naito wanted it more, right? And they they told that story in the build-up over and over again that Okada, you know, didn't give a fuck about the double titles. And, you know, Naito simply wanted it more, and that's why he was just, like, always one step ahead of Okada. He always... Um, you know, he always was, like, ready for whatever he had. He even just flat out no-sold him a couple times, which was just, like, it just felt like he was basically saying, I'm not going to lose to you here. It's just not going to happen. So that, I thought, made perfect sense. And Okada, like, finally realizes that, and he's like, oh, shit, okay, this this is not the same Naito as two years ago. So, you know, he he slams him knee first on the table, which was such a great spot, like, such a great dickhead heel spot. And, you know, Joe Lanza pointed out uh, on Twitter that he just lifted that from uh, Yoshinobu Kanemaru <laughs> against Shingo Takagi and the, the best of Super Juniors last year. So just really, like, taking one out of the, the guy whose nickname is Heel Master in his playbook. So, you know, that was perfect. And, you know, just, he, he I mean, like, you know, hitting someone knee first on a table and then slinking back in the ring to take a count out, that is a heel move. So they really leaned into it there. Um, and then, you know, they, you know, Naito recovers. They go into the, the big forearm exchange. They both have this grin on their faces, like, you know, we're, um, you know, they're both out of their minds and they both just really enjoy it, which is great because, you know, these are old, such old rivals at this point. And, you know, then they get into like the crazy finishing stretch, and it never felt like it dragged before the crazy finishing stretch, which is such a huge problem for me with a lot of major Okada matches here. It never felt like it dragged before we got into the, you know, the finisher reversal stuff. Um, and you know, they, there's a great moment where like, um, you know, Okada like he hits. Well, first of all, Okada hits the Rainmaker, and you know, I said this on Twitter. I actually could not like, look at the screen for that cover. Because, again, uh, intellectually, I knew that uh, Naito was, you know, not getting pinned there. It just felt way too soon, If even if he was going to lose. And Naito was going to kick out. But if they lost their minds and had decided to pin him there, I did not want to, like, see it. So I, I looked away from my screen. It was uh, it's quite embarrassing, I guess. But, <laughs> so I looked away, and Naito kicked out. Um, and then, you know, then at one point, Naito just like, fucking thrashes to escape this tombstone. Just his legs are, like, kicking like crazy, and he hits the mat even though he, um, you know, he can't even stand, and he still gets out of this tombstone. Just such a great moment. Uh, and Okada, you know, he's really pissed at this point that he can't put this guy away, so he goes back to the knee. He gets, like, gigantic boos from Tokyo Dome for the first time, really, even more than the announce table shit, because people are, like, just really pissed at him that he's trying to win with this knee shit. Uh, but Naito counters the Rainmaker into the desk. You know, he can't cover right away because of the knee work, which is great, and hopefully shuts up some of the dorks who were yelling at him about the selling yesterday. And it gets two, so uh, because he can't cover right away, so that was perfect. Uh, and then he goes up and he hits the Stardust Press. First of all, when he points the top rope, he does like the little fist bump on his chest. I think the big. The big difference from two years ago, which you would 
I don't know how many people would even realize this right away. Yeah, I remember it because okay. I said I said in the uh, preview, uh, Neto. I just said randomly, Neto's gonna win. I didn't have that much faith in it. Neto's gonna win with the Stardust Press because that's really mm-hmm. the story, right? Right, but you know that to me the but he was, he went at least went for it. Well, why why he hit it here and he didn't two years ago? He did not two years ago. He pointed at the top rope like unsure. You know, he like yeah. pointed at the top rope. He waited for the crowd to tell him whether or not he should do it. He waits and waits and waits. He finally goes up there and goes for this fucking move and Okada rolls out of the way. Here, he doesn't wait at all. He points for like two seconds. He chest bumps. He goes up and hits it. He, at this point, he is he's not asking the crowd, you know, is it okay to do this? Is it okay to reference the Stardust genius? Will you still like me? Uh, you know, even though you didn't like this, started, he's beyond all that bullshit, and he's just going to the top. He's like, oh, I'm hit my move. Goodbye. I don't give a shit. And he just goes to the top rope and hits it. It's so perfect. Uh, it's perfect that Okada kicked out, too, because I don't think that should have been the finish. But uh, that was just such a great spot. And and then he get you know, he finally, you know, there's a few more reversals. The key ends up being that, uh, oh, God, what is that move that he's doing? It's like a, it's like a Northern Lights bomb, right? Isn't that like that movie? Uh, the Valentia? No, it's like a. Is that is the Valentia? I think. Valentia? Oh. When I'm talking about, like, it's just the. No- Sorry, the Northern Lights driver. Who's Northern Lights bomber? Are you talking about? Sorry. Naito. Naito. Who's Northern Lights driver? Yeah, no, the Valentia. Oh, it's called the Valentia. Okay, thank you. That's what it's called. Yeah. But uh, but he did not have that move two years ago, I think. So. No, he he developed that in the last year, I right. think. So, I mean, because there was a couple other matches, yeah. Yeah, so he didn't he use it for the first time against Jericho at the Dome last year? I think so. I think that's correct. I didn't even know it had a name, honestly. So, I guess I'm uh, a fake fan, (laughs) but oh, damn, (laughs) fake fan exposed. But yes, last year at the Dome, um, you know, I I think it was against Jericho the first time. I mean, I remember it mostly against Ibushi because I feel like he hit that fucking thing on Coda in every single match the two of them had together but yeah i think yeah i think that that he did like to think about that move yeah yeah but like that move to me ends up being the difference because two two years ago he did not have this big setup uh you know neck drop move before the destino like okada has the the spinning tombstone that ended up being naito's undoing so two years later naito has this big setup move he drops okada on his head hits the final destino one two three so I don't know. It's a it was as close to a perfect wrestling match as I think you can pretty much get. I, don't, I mean, it was just an all time uh, amazing match, and you know, it was. I'm sure a lot of it was like emotional investment and the fact that I waited all this time for this moment. And but like, I just think the match was fucking perfect anyway. You know, like I just think, uh, you know, every moment leading up to that conclusion was just fucking awesome. And. Uh, I don't know. I just I I don't really know what the complaints are about the match. I haven't really seen a lot of them, so maybe somebody can enlighten us in the chat if they just absolutely hated the match or something. But uh, yeah. No, don't spoil it. Don't spoil it. <laughs> I thought it was incredible. Uh, I really I really did love it. Um, but I don't know if anyone else has any extra thoughts here. Well, All let's right. can we talk uh, for just a second about um, the interaction after the match with oh, Naito yes. and Okada, that right? Was so good. So, so Naito uh, gets a mic, and I think he's gonna, you know, run back Okada's um, kind of taunt. 
of him uh, from Wrestle Kingdom 12. And and he takes the high road and says, that was great. This feels great, basically. And uh, maybe we can do it again sometime. And Okada's reaction was perfect. A little a little smirk. He's getting carried out and he puts his, his, he puts his fist up like, yeah, I got you. Uh, I'm with you and I'm out of here. Like, what a cool moment that was. It That one just got me right in the feels. Um, but yeah, I'm glad you brought that that point up, Chris. Um, and I'm glad you brought up the the moment. I thought I thought Naito Okada was doing like the Lij pose. You know, I don't know. Maybe maybe that was just me. But I thought he was. Yeah, doing no, that. I think that. I mean, it was it was something similar to it, if if nothing else. Um, I don't know if it was supposed to be that blatant, but um, it was it was very cool. Uh, yeah, so that was really cool. And Justin, Justin Lee Mom brought up too. Uh, I want. I was. That's the other thing I was saying when I didn't realize my microphone was not working. The reverse Rana off the top. That was uh, just such a such a cool spot. And you know the kind of like I think sick sick spot that people expect in a match like this. And boy, boy did it deliver. That was a crazy spot. Uh, the grapple average, by the way, right now because I, I know some people are really into these ratings and stuff. It's at four point nine. <laughs> from 136 ratings which is like ridiculously that's, high that's really high on grapple for that many ratings yeah. absolutely so i mean i'm sure it'll come down as it gets more over the over the next few days but uh i mean it's right up there with that uh you know that okada ibushi matches that which is at 4.85 with 604 so um you know i mean that's a little it, all that really says is like what the type of people that really enjoy New Japan matches think of this New Japan match so but not I mean I will be honest, not those those folks don't always love Naito matches especially to the same degree that I love them so uh you know it's cool just to see that everybody it, it seems pretty universal among the fan base that people are really really adored this match uh do you have anything you want to add about it Gerard before we move on can we talk well I can we talk about Jericho versus Tanahashi? Well, we're going to get to that. Yeah, that'll be next. Be oh, okay. After the card. Okay. Uh, well, that's what I was doing. Ty, do you have anything you want to add about Okada Naito real quick? No, I. it was just masterclass pro wrestling uh, through and through. Told a fantastic story. It culminated a journey for Naito. And the Kenta turn um, just pivots uh, completely to something brand new and really exciting. So I, I agree, and I, I you know I already talked enough about that, but I don't it didn't bother me at all. Uh, and, and if anything, you know, New Year Dash tomorrow could have some cool stuff. So you know, Naito is champion, and uh, not getting to say two words is not going to change that. So uh, let's go to Jericho and Tanahashi then, which was the semi main event. Uh, I'll let somebody else take Gerard. You were very into the idea of talking about this, so you can go first, I guess. I because I I like I fucking love this thing. Yeah, and. I didn't expect like no. I thought because it was Tanahashi and Jericho, I thought Tanahashi would carry this, and he very much did. Uh, have been mixed on Jericho. Uh, loved his match against uh, Naito in January. Was didn't really like his match against uh, Okada in June. Strangely enough, I liked his match against um, Hangman at uh, Double or Nothing. Or sorry, uh, all out, but um, was getting a little tired of him. But like this was fucking incredible. He, like he just controlled that crowd, and 
hit those spots that are like this uh, out of shape fat guy hitting the spots and you're like panicking if he's going to land them. But still, when he does, it's just uh, incredible. And I thought the back and forth is incredible. And Tanahashi actually looked better coming out of this match than I thought he would. Because I thought he would like, you know, take a like a definitive um, Judas effect or something on the ground. But like, you know, I thought the way that the uh, submission was done was like very good for him. Yeah, I, I agree. And I, I, you know, I, I was a little lower on it than, uh, you know, some of you guys. But like, you know, I mean, I still gave it four stars. I, I still thought it was awesome. Uh, you know, it just didn't maybe get to that next next level like it seemed to for a lot of people. Uh, what did you think of Jericho and Tanahashi, Chris? Uh, this might have been my favorite Jericho New Japan match. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I, the Naito match didn't didn't get me last year um, for whatever reason. I, I think if I went back, it would probably be better than um, when I was watching it live. But um, I liked I liked this a lot. I think these guys worked really well together. I think they knew what they they were capable of. Um, and I think that they, they had worked all that out, um, you know, throughout, throughout the course of the match, they took, uh, you know, some, some smaller risks. You saw, you saw a lot of high fly flows and, and, and things of the sort attempted, but, um, you know, the, the counters were good. Um, the action was good throughout. It went about the right amount of time, I think. And it, it didn't spend as much time outside of the outside of the ring as I thought it was going to. Um, and I think that's a positive, um, that's a positive development in the world of Jericho matches. Yeah. That's I, that, that did stand out that they didn't do, they didn't really do any like major crowd brawling compared to a lot of other, uh, you know, matches and stuff. So that's a, that is an interesting one. Uh, yeah. And, and Jericho, Jericho had the crowd, even in a big building like that, like that dude just commands attention. Um, and Tanahashi's this the same way, so um, it was a good good combination. I was I was pleasantly surprised by how much I enjoyed it. Yeah, um, and I guess you know I'm I'm looking at like the gravel average again. I'm like right around the average. It's like four point one six, I think. So I'm not really that far below it. But our Slack seemed to love it a lot more than that. So that's why I guess it made me think everybody was way higher than me. Uh, what I was high on it. Yeah. What, what do you do? You give star ratings? I forget. Oh, I went four point seven five. Oh wow! Okay. Yeah. Uh, Tyler, what do you think of Jericho and Tanahashi? This was uh, one of my favorite Jericho matches that I've seen in a long time as well, and I went four and a half on it. Um, it really started off on a low note, just because we didn't get to hear Judas on the way in, which <laughs> really stunk. Um, but after that, I really liked how. Uh, uh, one of the initial exchanges, you know, Tanahashi went and did the air guitar. And then shortly after that, uh, Chris Jericho kind of mocked him uh, with his own little, like, shitty air guitar uh, because he actually is a rock star. And I thought that was a little cool touch. Uh, I liked the counter uh, Tanahashi had for the Judas effect. And I, I was really surprised that that wasn't the finish. Because uh, being that it's a like an MMA style back elbow, anybody can get a hit with it and just be knocked out. And that's like, in a shoot that's that happens all the time. Where uh, Tanahashi tapping out, I was really surprised by that finish. 
because I thought it, it made him uh, look weaker than he, if he would have just taken the Judas effect. But they did a really good job at making everything flow. It, it didn't feel like it was stagnant for a little bit of t- time at any point. Um, I always pop hard for that Jericho uh, DDT on the table where he just spikes the guy. And Tanahashi felt like he was uh, vertical for about five seconds. Uh, these guys just worked really well together. The two veterans that are masters at telling stories, and it was a fantastic match. Anyone want to add anything else before we? I didn't really say anything about what I thought about it, but um, you know, I'm just. I guess all I will say at the end too is I'm glad Jericho won, and the Forbidden Door stays shut for now, at least. <laughs> uh, uh, I'm also glad that the Forbidden Door is shut, and I think it should. Just... Day shut forever. So, who was yeah. Jericho? I wonder who Jericho was subtweeting. Um, <laughs> did you see his post match promo? His post match comments. He said like, uh, "No, they should put the egos and the." Uh, I think I don't want to misquote him. Something like egos and hurt feelings or something. And, and like, well, I think that means someone. Yeah, I mean, does it, is he talking uh, the Kenny and the Bucks? Is he talking New Japan? Is he talking both? I don't. Not really sure. Uh, Did he listen to last night's Wrestling Observer Radio? Because it sounded like it was it, it was direct from there. Uh, so I guess we'll see. But yeah, Jer- I'm sure Jericho. I mean, it, it totally makes sense that Jericho would want these two companies to work together because you know he works for both of them. Um, but oh, apparently my microphone's a lot lower than the rest of the crew. Thank you for telling me, Mister Danny Magoo. Oh, okay. Anyway. Um, I'm not sure I can do anything about that with the setup, but I guess you can let me know if that helps at all. Uh, but yes, so as far as the um, totally lost my train of thought there, but I appreciate you telling me, Danny. Um, like as far as like the forbidden door and all that stuff goes, I would be fine with it staying closed for now. Um, but you know, I'm sure I, I get why Jericho obviously would want it to you know, maybe open in the future, but you know, I mean, he works for both these companies anyway, so it makes total sense that uh, he would, you know, he would want these two companies to get along and work together, but uh, there you go. And yeah, Scott Baker, Scott Barker, I'm sorry, I almost said Baker, he, Tanahashi's pre-match like fucking video, that was awesome where, uh, you know, they, they have all these, you see all like the clown makeup guys and you think it's like gonna be the Jericho video, but then it's like Tanahashi rocking out with them. <laughs> that was great. I mean, that's like the kind of it's the kind of goofball shit that like you know I can you can deal with because it's like it's in a pre match video. You know, what I mean, you can deal with a little goofy pre match video, but uh, yeah, that was awesome. And anything else about Tanahashi Jericho before we move on? No. Okay. No. No. Uh, Let's go to Jay White and Kota Ibushi. Um, so I, you know, this is a weird one where I liked the match, you know, I liked a lot of the match quite a bit, and there was certainly stuff about it that I really liked, but, you know, the, the fucking, the running shit, I mean, I, it, again, it felt like, it felt like Jay White regressed, if anything, over the course of these two nights, um, you know, he, as far like, I don't know, he, he beat 
Naito pretty much clean at the G1. I, I went on this rant yesterday, too. He beat Naito pretty much clean at the G1. He beat Naito really clean at uh, Destruction and Kobe. Um, you know, it just it felt like he had he needed so much Gato interference here to beat Koda that it's like, you know, I don't know. It just it made him feel way cheaper, and it ruined the match for me. I mean, I still went uh, three and a half on it, so it's not like I fucking hated it or anything, but, like, some of the action was so good that I, I really could have gone a lot higher if not for just so much garbage in this match. So, I don't know. It's just, like, I like 50 fucking ref bumps, all the Gator run-ins. I, you know, some people aren't bothered by it, and if you're one of them, that's cool, I guess. But, like, I'm really... Like, Jay White needs to be beyond this at some point. I get it. It's, it's heel heat and stuff, but, like... You just let the guy beat some people without needing fifty Gato run-ins, and they were they were doing it. That's the part that really infuriates me. They were letting him beat some folks clean, and I thought we were like moving beyond you know Gato with the brass knucks and shit. And it feels like we're right back where we started now, and that's really frustrating. So I hope after this he's gonna like uh, you know reinvent himself a little bit and go in a different direction. Um, what did you... Well, do you, like, do you think, though, people have always speculated, like, Jay White's ultimate, like, direction is, like, super mega babyface, but I think it's still too early to do that if... Yeah, it's too early, these circumstances. but you yeah. could, but you, you could just have him be a heel that wins, you know, more cleanly. I mean, there's plenty of heels in this right. company that beat people clean, you know? But, like, wasn't it, uh, uh, Joe Lanza said, like, oh, well, like, if... Uh, Jay isn't cheating, or is anyone going to even believe he can win? Though, right? No, I mean that's fair. Right. But like, but 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 okay, I get that for the Naito match. This match, I don't think he need to do that. I mean, there's a fucking third place no, match. No. I mean, you could buy anybody winning. I mean, it, it doesn't matter who wins this. So you know, I get that argument that Joe made for uh, for Naito and White because you know Jay realistically never had a chance in hell of winning that match. So you got to do anything you can. That, that's fine. But here. I mean, anyone could have won this match. It doesn't fucking matter. It's not even for anything, really, other than maybe a title shot in the future, and who knows even if that's the case anymore with this Kenta attack. So, I don't know. I think it's uh, kind of silly, and I don't, I'm not really sure, uh, you know, what the point of uh, you know doing that was. So, you know, well, I, I think it just was too much. I think tonight the point of doing it was to not completely ruin Kota Ibushi. Um, and have have him lose two two clean in a row, because um, what what we saw was was two visual pins essentially of of Kota Ibushi winning that match, and then and then Jay White comes through with the with the victory anyway. So I think that that's probably the logic is to keep Ibushi you know in the picture here, um, you know whether or not that actually matters or works like that's that's kind of up to you, but like I, I think that's where I see the decision being made to go this direction with the end of this match yeah that's fair no i and i agree i'm sure that's what they were probably thinking a little bit but like i don't know i just do is that not a little over defensive of coda like do you think people are gonna be jumping off the coda bushy bandwagon just because he lost a couple i think i think the amount that they did was was too much and it was it was an over it was an overcorrection for the the decision to have coda bushy lose you know when it comes down to it so um yeah that's why i think because i think i think you give him one you know the one visual pin or honestly i would i would have just done gato pulls the ref out of the out of the ring i would have done that one 
I wouldn't have done the, you know, the typical Marty Sami, you know, falls on the floor ref for an hour ref bump. Um, but when Gato pulled the ref out of the ring, I thought that that was the one I would have done. That would have been the one time I had Gato included in the match. And then I would have, uh, then from there you go to the finish. And um, I mean, which, which the finish was, it, it ended up good. Um, you know, the straight jacket, bloody Sunday, and then the blade runner, like blade runner is still super protected. Um, you know, I think that they could have gotten there without all of the shenanigans, maybe just like a touch of the shenanigans. Yeah, no, I agree. Um, but so I, I, I definitely just like, 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 like you're saying, I think they just overdid it. I think that's a great, that's a great way to put it. Um, you know, and I, I get it too, because I mean, you have a guy come into this weekend and then lose both matches i get why they're a little worried but like i don't know it's kota ibushi people always gonna love kota ibushi <laughs> so i think they're i think they were a little oh, maybe over concerned you know for no reason maybe but it definitely hurt this match uh i think that oh, go ahead john i think because when you watch the ibushi okada match and it took what was it six rainmakers for ibushi to finally go down I th- I think uh, the logic being that like, you have to do that much to put him down because it took Okada six Rainmakers. So y- you have to have that much interference. Plus, it protects Ibushi for not having to lose two matches, which you could argue does or doesn't matter. Uh, I can see both points. And then moving forward, like he's uh, these last two matches, we really saw murder Ibushi. And how does that grow over the course of the next calendar year and how does that propel him forward because he is full-time new japan he kind of got a little bit of the rocket pack this year how does that change moving forward into 2020 and does he grow and the comments about he could be a better heel than anybody in bullet club does that come to fruition does maybe a new faction become born tomorrow at new year's dash i think all those little elements because of the interference really can propel his character growth and development. And it'll be really interesting to see how it uh, turns out. Yeah. Uh, that's a good point too. I mean, I, I will say over the years by now, like faction, uh, you know, sh- like a unit shuffle. I, it, I, I, I like believe that when I see it, I guess is the best way to put it. I just feel like that's been overdue for so long and we haven't gotten it that like, I'm just kind of waiting, but I guess we'll see. Um, between matches here, between matches five and six, they announced the, a lot of the Japanese dates. Uh, really no big surprises, unless you weren't paying attention to the rumor mill, because the thing about the uh, the fall G1, that, that's been going around for months and months. I think Kevin Kelly even hinted about it on the air, like during the uh, Super Junior Tag League this year. So, But yeah, the, the final three dates of the G1, uh, it's moving back to Ryogoku, and it's going to be October 16th through 18th. So I assume that means if it's based on the same kind of schedule as previous years, it's going to start like mid-September. So like mid-September to mid-October is what you're looking at. Uh, for people wondering why it moved back from Budokan, what, you know, I, I think it had probably most to do with uh, the merch situation in the Budokan is what I've heard. Like they have these, the merch stalls of the Budokan, if you've never been to the Budokan, which I never have, but I've heard some people have been there. It's like, the the merch the merchandise is not in the building it's like a little bit of a ways away um i don't know exactly how long like a five minute walk or something in like a little outdoor area so apparently i think that that hurts their merchandise sales so i think they sell a lot more merchandise 
back at Sumo Hall. So that probably had a lot to do. I've, I've never heard that, but I find that fascinating, especially as someone that's like watched like so many matches and like, you know, Budokan is obviously a legendary building. Yeah. I also think the New Japan fans just prefer Sumo Hall. And that's like, it's a new, like Sumo Hall is always been and, New Japan. And apparently all the sweating that goes on in there. Yeah. Uh, okay, people are saying they're having a hard time hearing me, which kind of sucks. Uh, let me see. I said, it looks like my mic is registering. I don't know. I'm sorry, folks, about any technical issues here. Um, the We don't normally do this setup, so, uh, you know, I'm trying my best here. But, yeah, it looks like it's all registering on my end. I'm sorry if it's difficult to hear me. Um, anyway, I'm going to try. I'll fix that in post probably for the, for the actual podcast. But uh, sorry, you get to bear with me here on the live broadcast. I'm not really sure how to fix it. Um Anyway, back to the point I was trying to make um, on the the Budokan and, and Ryogoku. I mean, Sumo Hall was always, like, the New Japan building, you know? Um, so I, I think it's just, like, whereas, like, Budokan is the All Japan building. So I think the New Japan fans, you know, do have a little more of attachment to Sumo Hall. And they, they only moved it from Sumo Hall to um, the Budokan originally because of that, you know, that I think it was in 2018, they were doing, like, earthquake proofing for the Olympics, right? And then they kept it at the Budokan in 2019, but but I guess there's a long window way of saying I'm not really surprised they moved it back. I don't think it really means anything, like, as far as their attendance or anything like that, because they, they did sell out the finals both years. Um, so, there you go. Um, other people are saying I'm audible, so okay. <laughs> That's fine. I don't know. I'm glad uh, you guys can hear me. Um, but yeah, so the Fall G1, that's an interesting little wrinkle, obviously, because of the Summer Olympics. Uh, I'm I'm going to try to go. Um, you know, I've always wanted, you know, I, I went to the G1 in 2017, and it was incredible. Uh, the only thing that wasn't incredible was the heat, <laughs> which was really, like, Japan in August, if you've never been, it's like fucking, I don't know, it's like the worst place in America you could think of for like heat plus um humidity but like even worse it's like 90 percent humidity to 95 percent humidity it's like really bad uh so i was like well I'm, I, I really like this but i'm never gonna do it again probably because it was so miserable with the humidity but here we go now can go back and see the last three nights of a g1 again without dealing with the ridiculous heat uh and then i know big japan already has a cork on the books on the 20th and ddt has a cork on the 25th so you can see a bunch of other shows too, and who knows what else what might be added. So I'm gonna try to get like a little trip in that ten day span, but should be exciting. Um, but yeah, the other thing that that really didn't come up was the that I think people were expecting where there was no international dates. Uh, I wouldn't read too much into that. I know there's some big American dates on the books already that they haven't announced yet. So I would just say like stay tuned. I'm sure they're gonna announce that like separately and you know again if you're like a uk fan and you're worried that there was no royal quest announcement you know or royal quest 2 announcement i wouldn't again i wouldn't read into it like the it's definitely off i know the global account on twitter already tweeted that like global announcements are going to come later so you know i i wouldn't worry too much i think you'll probably still get another uk show i don't know like why would they not go back when they sold out the first one doesn't really make a lot of sense so i guess we'll see but uh, okay, so Kenta and Goto, match number five. I absolutely love this match. Uh, I think I was a lot higher on it than 
a lot of people, uh, you know, looking at my, looking both at uh, my Twitter feed and like at the grapple rate average, which looks like, uh, yeah, it's at 3.88. So I'm, I'm a lot higher than that. But yeah, people, some people really did like it. Some people didn't like it nearly as much as I did. But I thought it was like uh, a really incredible match. Um, you know, like a perfect blend of like Kenta doing his heel stick and. Um, you know, these, these like more traditional, like puro slugfest spots and, you know, it, it built, it took a little bit to get going, but by the time they were just really like destroying each other, I thought it was incredible. Uh, Goto selling was like, like when Goto gets into the, uh, into that next level of selling, like that really, um, you know, I, I can, Goto can easily let you down. I'd be the first one to admit that, but when he really is into a match, like I am an unabashed Goto mark when he's really on and I thought he was super on here. Um, but yeah, I thought this was, uh, just really incredible. Like all the, all the striking and like the slaps and stuff down the stretch, uh, it really sticks out in my mind. And I went four and a half stars on it by the end, you know, which like I said, a lot higher than some other people seem to go, but I just thought the two of them worked really, really well together and it built really well by the end. Uh, what'd you think of Kenta and Goto, Chris? I think this is going to be, this is the match that kind of puts the whole show together for me. Um, a match like this, that kind of carries this like really, really heavy weight of, of, um, strong, you know, strong style, you know, like, I mean, like Kenta looked like he got freaking knocked out. Um, and he, he sold it like he got knocked out. And like, that's part of Kenta's story with the never title. So, um that was i thought that was a good that was a good piece and then from there on they were just beating the shit out of each other so um i liked that it had the right amount of time it was 16 minutes it was it um goto hit kind of all his big moves to put kento away and and that was it um they they kind of got in did their storytelling right at the beginning and then knocked out the knocked out the moves and, and called it a day. But like matches like this that are like super well executed, just like put together really well and then and then executed really well. Like these are the these are the matches that carry a, an entire show up for me. Um, so I, I I I liked it a lot. Yeah, I mean, I I think it's a great point that you made too. Like the strong style. Like I think you need a like you need a match like this on a Wrestle Kingdom card and you know, maybe night one was kind of missing it, but, you know, I think it really is important to have a match where they're just going to go out there and beat the piss out of each other. I think that's just very much a part of, like, the Wrestle Kingdom experience. And, you know, Goto has done these matches a lot, and, you know, I think he, he almost always delivers. I, I shouldn't even say almost. Like, I, I really can't remember. You know, Goto, um, Goto definitely does have a tendency to sometimes not deliver, but, like, I can't ever remember him not delivering at a Wrestle Kingdom. If anyone, maybe there's well, an obvious one I'm not thinking. Well, of. I I think this match, like in particular, like you know, looking at the whole card overall, is like this is why I liked it more than last night. I thought the second night was better than the first night. I, I don't know if I'm on an island on that one. No, I think I think it, the because the first like if, if like you know like from like beginning to start, you know, you crunch the numbers and everything. I thought the second night was better. Mm. I don't. It's close for me because there's. There was like stuff on both shows I liked and didn't like, but I think like this match is a big tip, a, a big cap, and a, a feather in 
Night 2's cap because it felt like this kind of like very strong style-ish match was missing from Night right. 1. Maybe the closest one Night 1 had was Okada and Ibushi, actually, when they started beating the piss out of each other. Well, I'll, I'll be honest. The only I went five stars on on uh, Osprey and uh, Hiromu. Hiromu, yeah. which was the only five star I went that night. Yeah. So that was my match of the weekend for me, and uh, I think it still is. But like from beginning to end, I thought night two was better. Uh, do you have anything to say specifically about this match, Gerard? I don't think you really talked about that much. No, um, I like. <laughs> I was just like waiting for like you know, go to do his thing. And like, in, in some ways it was like a predictable, like build up, go to, go to match. And then like, bam, 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 like the big stuff at the end. So, you know, solid match, but like nothing we haven't seen from go to on at wrestle kingdom. Uh, Tyler, anything you want to add about Goto and Kenta? I think the one thing that really stood out to me was uh, just Kenta and his mannerisms and his cocky attitude and just his hateability like from the second his music hit and you saw him walk uh, down the entrance ramp he was just being really slow he he had this asshole look about him and he he didn't smirk he didn't look at goto he just went into the ring just pissed off and then he and goto just beat the living piss out of each other and it was fantastic uh, and then you, you kind of saw it when Kenta did the run in on Naito, kind of the same mannerisms in his face. And uh, he just, just yeah, one of the best, if not the best heel in the business right now. And it's, I thoroughly enjoy Kenta. And it's also really funny that Goto wins another title at Wrestle Kingdom. And the guy he beats is going on to bigger and better things. Yeah. Uh, so I think we got disconnected on YouTube there while you were talking. So, uh, but the, all that'll be on the actual podcast. Sorry, guys, if you're listening live, uh, you know, this stream thing has been very iffy today for some reason. Uh, but yeah, so that was Goto and Kenta. Um, the match before that, the U.S. title, uh, Juice and um, Moxley, I thought that was like the big disappointment of the night. Uh, I only went two and three quarters on it. It was okay. But just nothing in that match grabbed me to any great degree. It just kind of felt like, you know, it felt very much like a Raw match, I guess, which is not not really a compliment on Wrestle Kingdom. Uh, but the but the post-match angle was incredible, and I think that's ultimately having a really awesome post-match angle like that can go a long way towards making up for a disappointing match. Um, you know, just the moment Minoru Suzuki's music hit, like everybody just goes nuts. Uh it makes completely perfect sense. And it's one of those things where, you know, I, I try not to rave about this too much because it should be really fucking basic. And the fact that, like, the biggest wrestling company in the world can't do something that's basic isn't really reason to overly praise New Japan for it. But, like, just the fact that, like, they gave you a moment that looked throwaway, you know, when uh, when Moxley came to the ring, 
to confront Lance Archer at the world the world fucking tag league finals of all shows. He confronts Lance Archer there. He gives him this DDT and he gives Suzuki this DDT just because Suzuki's there. The fact that that moment, which easily could have meant nothing, easily could, could have just been like a thing that's forgotten, that they bring that up, you know, a month plus later. They send Suzuki out there for this great moment and it makes perfect sense. It's not just a man randomly coming out here. It's because like he fucking remembers that he, you, that you he DDT'd you. He doesn't have amnesia. He's not, you know, it's not a new pay-per-view cycle, so it's not time to, you know, have the entire roster forget what happened for the last month. So, you know, again, you can't. it's easy to fall into a trap of overly praising New Japan for something that should be so fucking simple that, you know, more companies should be doing it, especially gigantic companies. But it's, it is still great just to see, like, just to see that happen and see, you know, that moment get paid off with that really awesome moment and, you know, the crowd doing... Uh, doing the, the sing along and everything, just getting that theme song, you know, play in there when he didn't get it on either night before that. But yeah, just a really cool moment. Sets up a really awesome. Uh, sets up a, a match that I know, you know, that Moxley wanted. So I'm sure it'll be a, a really fun match. Uh, I guess Chris, any thoughts on the match or the angle? Anything you want to talk about here? Yeah, not much on the match. It was fine. I love that Moxley retained. Um, I think a lot of people, to a lot of people, it was a foregone conclusion that Moxley wasn't going to at least end this weekend as the U.S. champ. Um, but here we are. And I, I think that's great. I think it's great that New Japan clearly has more dates with him. Um, and I think that, yeah, the the setup for Suzuki was just so clean. And it, it it's not going to require much more than just booking the match whenever, you know, when they want to do it, which would probably be New Beginning. Um but like they they don't need to do much more than they've already done. And um, with a guy like Moxley, that is that's how you that's how they're gonna have to build it. They're gonna have to build it when he's when he's in Japan or when he's willing to come over for a minute. So um, the match itself was a match that happened. Yeah, uh, Jonathan Jonathan Hernandez in the in the chat want to say just just like Gato's done a great job like, training the viewer, and he was waiting for Suzuki with their seat from the second that DET hit. And, again, you need to, like, you want to have, as a viewer, to know that, like, if stuff happens, it's usually going to pay off in something. So that's, you know, it's, it's a really cool aspect of the booking that I think, you know, like, you don't want to praise it too much, again, like I said, because it is very basic. But uh, the fact that it paid off, I think, was just great and, you know, just such an awesome moment. Uh, and who the fuck ever could have, again, like I've said this a million times with Moxley, but like a year ago, imagine telling some someone that you're going to see like Dean Ambrose and Minoru Suzuki confront each other in the Tokyo Dome. It's just <laughs> so crazy. Uh, Gerard, <laughs> and you're going to like it. And you're going to love it. Yeah. And like the Coco is going to go nuts. Uh, Gerard, would you, anything on the match or the angle here? Uh, I... I really love the match. I went four stars. Uh, that was even before the uh, like post match angle. I thought the like the last little like uh, where they were reversing their finishers very briefly. I thought that was actually awesome. Um, but you know, I, I get it. It was a little slow to begin with, but still at the same time, like by the end of it, like Moxley was like again the talk of the town. Yeah, I mean, just it's it's a really he's done a great job like choosing. You know, I think if this is his choice, I think if he beats Suzuki, you know, I think they should put him up against Naito next. I think that'd be really cool to do like the. the well, payoff. that has to be avenged too, yeah, anyway. From the G, right, right, right from the G one. 
So, you yeah. know, you'd figure that. I mean, he said, you know, I'm big game hunting after yesterday, which I thought I thought was like a really early tease. So of that of like maybe a Naito big like double champion versus champion match. But I guess we'll say uh, Tyler, what do you think of the match or the angle or both? Uh, the match was fine. It, I went three stars. It existed. They did some stuff, and nothing really stood out. It it was just there. It, like it. This is a Wrestle Kingdom card, and it, I, we we know like just learning more about John Moxley. Like, he's he's a puro nerd. He's he loves this shit just like we do, and you could see just generally like that how much he loved being in the match last night with Lance Archer, and you could tell that he. Uh, his juices were flowing the second that Suzuki music hit and he was all in and he was excited. And, but the juice match, it was just there. And I kind of felt bad for juice. Cause this is like, uh, what the uh, third match in a row at the Tokyo dome where his has been used as the piss break. <laughs> like, yeah. I mean, they should, maybe they it, should put the intermissions back just to free poor juice Robinson from being the intermission. <laughs> yeah. I mean, yeah, we, we easily blamed Cody last year because his matches in New Japan were boring and he was hurt. But uh, apparently last night that uh, you could maybe blame God. But are you really going to blame John Moxley for tonight? Like, yeah. I, I don't know. It's the match was fine. <laughs> I'm glad to see that Juice is going to be uh, focusing more on the tag division because that needs some life. And I think he and Finley can bring some unique, uh, uh, can get some new opponents and. That really do something with it, but I am all in for Moxley and Suzuki. They'll just beat the snot out of each other, and that's what I love in wrestling, just two guys fighting. I mean, that's a great... I mean, look, if you need a U.S. title match to headline one of those two New Beginning and Sapro shows, I think that's a great one. I mean, that's, that's a main event, so you could totally do that as mm-hmm. a main event, so... uh Let's see here. The previous... Oh, we haven't even mentioned, by the way, I guess because it feels so long ago now, but, like, obviously the stream had a lot of issues. Uh, I don't know how you guys deal, dealt with it. I have... I had a pretty well, awesome... I was, wa- I was watching on uh, Firestick. Yeah. That that conked out for the longest amount of time, I think, because yeah. you, were, you were talking about it for a while. So I just logged... Like, I went onto my laptop and logged on the website, and then... Within a reasonable amount of time, that started to work. But people were, like, dealing with all sorts of other things for a while. Yeah. So I think it might have been, like, I don't know, look, completely location-dependent. But I think most English speakers were knocked out of uh, Fire Stick, at least. Yeah, the Fire Stick did not work for me for the longest time. And even after it started working for me again, I could never get the English to load. Like, the English would load up, but, like, it would be, like the English language fee would be like three frames per second or something. So like, like it's so freaking choppy. And that was all the way to the end. Cause I switched back to the English just to see, you know, just to get Chris Charlton's translations. And, you know, it was still in like the three frames per second. So I ended up on the Japanese all night, which is fine. I mean, I don't, I don't mind watching Japanese at all. Uh, and I even watch it in Japanese sometimes, but, uh, you know, that's what, that's just what ended up happening. But I had a good backup plan anyway, because I have, a the Japanese TV networks and I just so when like the first thing went down uh, I just switched to watching on TV SIE which was you know a good backup plan to have but yeah some people I know had a lot of trouble just logging in and you know a lot of people even on the website but uh, you know hopefully you the, the listener here you got to 
you got back in in time. But I don't really think it didn't really affect my enjoyment of everything because I got, you know, I think the only thing well, I, no, I mean, like it was really only what a half hour, yeah, thing and really I, I, at and the I, end of it. And I got my, you know, the only thing I missed, I guess, was the end of the the Liger match, which I'm gonna go back and see, you know, what happened. But uh, right. Although I think we're probably getting to the like the limits of uh, like how many people can watch these streams <laughs> without any. Well, I heard upgrades. They, I heard they had like thousands of new subscribers for these shows which is kind oh of, really yeah so okay. like like they had a really huge boost in subscribers this year so i don't know if that's because of liger i don't know if just people really into the double gold dash or you know jericho and tana i'm sure jericho and tanahashi with all the what, aw stuff I, I guess the number is what 120 125 because that's what they claim that uh omega versus jericho one brought I yeah think. so i think that yeah, so yeah. I, and, it and, spiked like 40 percent just uh, once they announced the Jericho match. Yeah, so I think probably, and I know they, any people they lost after the AW split, they gained a lot back in uh, in the UK and Australia, apparently, this year. So, like, you know, apparently they, they stayed pretty even. So, I don't know, maybe they got to, like, 150 now. I don't know. But I heard, like, it was, I heard it was way up, is what I was hearing. So, maybe that has to do with the, the issues they were having. Um. But yeah, so let's see. The match before that was Sonata and Zack Sabre Jr. for the British heavyweight title. Uh, I like this a lot. I know some people didn't really seem to care for it too much, but I thought it was a fun little mat wrestling match with all the counters and submission holes and, st- and like flash pins and stuff that I enjoy. So I went three and three quarters. I had a really good time with it. Uh, I was a little bit sad that Zack did not lose the title and Sonata did not become champion of the British because it would have upset some people. But uh, it didn't happen, so what are you going to do? Uh, Chris, what did you think of Sonata and Zach? I liked it as much as I like any of their, any of their matches. Um, I had I had the most fun watching um, Tiger Atori try to keep up, um, so that was cool. But, um, yeah, otherwise it was, it was the fifth in a series that, um, that I've enjoyed. Um, I think they can wait to go back to it for a little while. I liked that Sonata did not win um, because it meant we weren't going to get some cheesy um, LIJ roll call with the Nepper Trios title included. Um, I do just because I, I, I will be honest. I, I have a, people... I would have a tough. I mean, like I get everyone's got a belt, but nah. <laughs> I know when people talk about the everyone with you know? a belt thing. It's like I'm feeling extremely exposed right now. It's like no, no, no. like everything with everyone with a belt. I expected that, but you know, everyone with a belt. I don't like, know if the, the never belts even count as a belt. You know, it's like really- did they all? Did they even have all three of them? <laughs> um, yeah. So so yeah, I was I was pleased that they didn't try to you know just like wedge that in there as uh, as the as kind of the the ending piece and um, but yeah, it was fine. Uh, what do you think, Gerard? I love this. I went four and a quarter. Uh, it was just like exactly what I wanted it to be. Fun, fun, reversal, reversal. Uh, I was expecting, you know, like uh, Sonata winning and that playing into like a broader angle, but doesn't matter. Like just an absolutely like fun pro wrestling match. Although, you know, you have to be into like that sort of like back and forth reversal type of thing. Uh, anything you want to add here, Tyler? Um, I, I was just 
I, I've been struggling to stay awake all night because I'm running on absolutely no sleep. So I really d- didn't pay a whole lot of attention to this one specifically. <laughs> so I'm going to have to go back and watch it. But from what I saw, it it reminded me a lot of their Dallas match. And that, I really like that kind of stuff. But at the same time, it can get a little monotonous and just repetitive. So I, I'm going to have to go back and watch it to really formulate a good opinion. Uh, uh, before that, we had the junior tag team titles. Uh, this was probably just not... I, I mean, I, a lot of other people like this more than me, but I just... It, it never clicked with me. Uh, Repugge 3K and ELP and Ishimori. I went two and a half stars on it. Very average match. Uh, you know, it was all right. But just nothing that really... Nothing that I really was that into. It was just there for me. So, I don't know. Chris, did you feel any differently about the junior tag team championship? I typically like these matches. I uh, this is where I was seeking streaming options, um, so I I don't think I I hardly saw a minute of it. Yeah. Uh, Gerard, did you see any of the junior tag team titles? Uh, well, I was also having streaming options during this, but at the same time, and I'll say this, and I don't want to be too much of an asshole, but like. There was a lot of uh, emphasis on ELP that uh, I was not particularly buying into at the time either, right? So uh, I eventually got my uh, stream back and everything, but uh, I didn't see everything in what I saw. I wasn't particularly impressed by. Yeah. Uh, Tyler, real quick, anything about the junior tag titles? Uh, I was actually very impressed with ELP. He was very smooth, very crisp, and... He played very, very well into his character. Like the moon salt into a back rake was one of the cockiest things I think I've ever seen in a wrestling <laughs> ring. I but, laughed at that though mockingly. I was like, "Come on!" Because they were just like back raking for the last like five minutes before that too. Yeah. It, it was stupid, but it was it fit really well into the ELP character because he's just a stupid jackass. And then at the end, where uh, shows got the nut cup on. Uh, with the utilizing Rocky sneaky style, I thought it was a really good touch. And I, I mean, it's a junior tag title match at Wrestle Kingdom. It was good. Uh, I really haven't seen a great one since uh, uh, Rapungi Vice uh, got the belts off the Bucks. Uh, it was fine. I think you mean that. Oh, Rapungi Vice. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They're, they're, I like that Rapungi 3K Bucks. Oh, no, maybe. Actually, no, they're, they're really good matches, like, at a. Uh... At like the new beginning, I guess. Well, uh, the one at Wrestle Kingdom twelve was the start of Matt selling his back for like an entire calendar year. Yeah, which got hokey. Uh, let's yeah. see. Um, okay, really quickly before I go into the last two matches, Scott Barker asked in the live chat, uh, "What will you think happen going forward? Naito's heavyweight and IC defenses. Do you think they'll be defended separately or both at once?" That's a great question, and. Um, I'm assuming it's going to be separately because otherwise, why would they set up two challengers at once? You know, they have White and Kenta kind of set up here with White, you know, winning that de facto number one contendership match and Kenta laying him out at the end. Uh, you know, maybe I'm wrong on that. Maybe they're doing, going to do Kenta, you know, on this tour and then White on the ne- on another tour. But like, yeah, I assume they're going to defend them separately. I don't know, but maybe maybe I'm wrong. Do we, do any, does anybody think yeah, but if, if you win the IC title, though, don't you look like a bit of a geek if you don't manage to take the world title off of him? I don't know. I mean, if you win the IC, you should at least get 
Well, yeah, I don't know. It is. It, it's a very difficult thing to detangle, which I guess is probably why they've never done this before. Right, because like some, <laughs> well, some one belt will always suffer when you detangle them. Yeah. Right. Like ideally, this has just become the the double gold that we talk about, you know, permanently. Yeah, but, but the intercontinental. Is so I am cool not battle. completely sold one way or another. That's happening. Yeah, I don't know. Is anybody like really convinced they're going to keep them together? Or really convinced they're going to have them separate? Because I could see it going either way. I I kind of think they'll do something like a WWE. I know when Becky got her two belts, she defended both of them in like the same night, and then uh, she'll defend in like separate matches or the same match. So I I think they'll keep them together for a little bit, but eventually they'll try and figure out a way to separate them, or they'll just completely get rid of the IC title. Yeah. Um, I, I, it's. I think they're going to be doing a little bit of everything at first, because as much as uh, Gato does a fantastic job, I wonder if he really knows what he wants to do with these two belts. Yeah. Well, if they're gonna if they're gonna do two belts, uh, keep them separate because the worst booking I hated was the uh, tag titles and then the U.S. title. Uh, I liked the matches, but. I just didn't like the way that was handled in the booking. Uh, I think that there's a chance that they eventually Naito vacates the IC and the New Japan Cups for the IC title. Oh, yeah, maybe. That could be. You Uh, could also do, like, there's two nights of Dantaku where Naito has to defend the IC in night one, and night two he has to defend the heavyweight, and that would be an easy way for him to uh, lose one of those titles. Yeah. There's options, I guess is the best way to put it. I guess we'll have to just wait and see what they do. Uh, the final two matches wrapping up here as I rapidly fall asleep on the air. Uh, the Liger retirement tag. Um, you know, this is just a, a, a damn good match here. Um, you know, I went three and a half stars on it. It the only maybe the only issue I have with this match is that like it didn't feel like a retirement match, and that's just because like you know usually when you're in a retirement match, the the rush for this retiring fucking sucks and like clearly needs to hang it up and Liger was great here and you know he just was so good that you're almost like first of all why are you retiring but you know he just wants to fucking hang him up and rest his body for a while who can who can blame him I guess but like it just felt like another tag match so like you know it didn't have that feeling of like you know this guy clearly has to hang him up it just kind of felt like well here's a tag match and uh, you know Liger could do like a million more of these if you wanted to, but see you later, buddy, I guess. Uh, but it did, the emotion hit me at the start. It didn't really hit me at the end. But uh, I think tomorrow, like, with the the ceremonies, it really, really hit me. Uh, Chris, any thoughts on the Liger tag? Yeah, I thought it was, I just thought it was a good match. Um, I think they, you know, Liger, Liger participated more than his, his typical average, and and they they put on a show. It was good. Um, it was better than your average retirement match, like you were saying. He, he doesn't suck. Um, so, but I think that that's gonna be why we remember him the way we do. Um, that he's not he's not going out um, hardly standing like some of these guys that are still hanging on. Yeah, Gerard. Uh, uh, this was incredible. Uh, like. 
you know, uh, the way that Liger was just like commanding the ring at one point was awesome. I hadn't seen anything like that in a while, even though like I wasn't expecting much going into it. But like, you know, obviously with the uh, the ending was, you know, I think we all expected Liger to get pinned sort of the way he did. And by who he did, it was still like, like to me, it did feel like a like a retirement match. And it was just like wrestled perfectly. Yeah, anything. Yeah, uh, I I was really confused why Ryu Lee was wearing a Dragon Lee t-shirt that he wasn't wearing when he walked down to the ring. Because he's in lots in Gobernabli's day ROH. Well, no, I understand that part, but the fact that he can't use Dragon Lee in New Japan but he's wearing a Dragon Lee t-shirt I, th- I thought was very odd. Like, I don't know, but maybe that's just me. And then uh, it was awesome. Like, I really like the fact that Liger is retiring before he can't go anymore, so then we're not looking back at it. Like, we're kind of looking at Nakanishi right now. Nakanishi can't go. He's just, He just looks really bad. He's just beaten down and run down, and he – he can't move, but Liger delivered a, a four plus star match at the anniversary show uh, against uh, Taiji Shimori. Like he can still go at a high level. He delivered a four star match against Suzuki. We're never going to see him deteriorate to a point where he can't go anymore. And we're always going to remember that Liger was great. And we're never going to see him as inferior in any way. And I really appreciated that. The last thing I want to talk about, the, the gauntlet, um, I just got such a kick out of Makave and Yano and Taguchi in that last segment, just like, especially Taguchi, but even Makave and Yano kind of, like, fighting for their wives to hold on to these fucking, their record-breaking never six-man title reign, these belts that people forget all year, but they were like, Taguchi especially was like fighting like crazy to try to hold on to these stupid belts, and I really got a kick out of it, so I gave, I went three and a half on the whole thing, just... I, think- I thought the whole gauntlet was good. Like yeah. uh, this, um, um, I'm trying. Like I'm trying to even like recall the teams because there was a, a Suzuki Gun team, and then there was um, team with Yoshihashi and Robbie Eagles and Ishi, which was a great team that I wanted to win, but they managed to survive once and then they fell. But like that was a really fun match. Yeah, I mean, for sure, I really, I really enjoyed it. I thought it was a great time. But like, as far as like a pre-show match, I, you know, I thought it was one of the better ones. Right. Uh, Chris, anything to add about the pre-show gauntlet? Yeah, I like the gauntlets. Um, I like, I prefer them to the Rambo. So this is a win for me. Um, I had no feelings about who was going to win, but. Um, I like them. I like I like this as a way to get fifteen guys on the card. Um, I probably would have picked a different fifteen, maybe with a couple of these guys. But um, you know, so be it. You only have so much time. Yeah. Uh, what do you think, Tyler? I actually haven't had a chance to watch it. I was driving home from a late Christmas party, so I was able to see the whole main card. But I haven't watched the gauntlet yet. Yeah. So there you go. Uh, and I'm just. I want to say one final thing while. Uh, you know, 
the while I'm going through the uh, the whole like uh, replies and stuff on the New Japan feed, people are really like Japanese fans are really mad about that Kenta thing. So I don't know if it's good heat or bad. Heat. Really? Yeah. Like I don't. What, it, but is that the same kind of heat that they got because of Jericho at Dominion and? Yeah, it could be. I mean, there's like a lot of replies. Yeah. Like, you know, obviously, auto translates right. not going to get all of like, it. Like, where's Naito like talking and that kind of thing? Like, right? this one's like at yeah. least do a J or a big player from another organization. Uh, you know, Kenta shouldn't have been the one. That kind of thing. And like, you know, people didn't like that it was Kenta, and, and someone else was like, "Oh, Shibata, bring him here to do this." And yeah, the New Japan <laughs> feed, the New Japan feed's filled with replies from Japanese fans who are pissed off. So I thought that was. Oh wow! I mean, it, I I don't I don't know if it's bad heat though. I think it could be. I think it could be kind of good heat. So I'm not really ready, ready to declare that it was a bad idea, but people I are. guess. But like, I I don't think necessarily publicly the the realities of it all have been admitted. I guess. Yeah. For lack of a better way to phrase it, or something like that, right? Yeah. So. I just think it's a it's, it's a it's a ballsy angle. I'll say that. So we'll see. Yeah. We'll see what what happens from there. But all right, let's wrap this up because I got to go to bed. <laughs> um, uh, start with Tyler. You plugged your stuff already, but if you want to plug it again, real quick. Yeah. Um, obviously, I do contribute to Voices of Wrestling. Um, I also uh, have my own uh, football website, uh, ccscouting.com. Uh, we do mock drafts, uh, big boards, player rankings for the NFL draft. I do specifically mock drafts and a little bit of college football writing, but I also write about the NFL. Uh, give that a look, and uh, yeah, it's good stuff. And Paul, I want to um, Paul Volsh, who was on the first half that thought he was going to be back on the second half, but wasn't able to make it. Uh, his Twitter is at Darth underscore Dragon. I'll have that in the description too, in the podcast episode. And he's also a voice of wrestling contributor. Does great reviews and. Uh, a lot of all Japan stuff along with you, obviously, Gerard. So, Gerard, go ahead and plug your stuff. Yeah, uh, Voice of Wrestling uh, contributor. I have a, a piece that was published last week about uh, all Japan business in 2019 versus 2018. Uh, I've got um, the uh, January 2nd and 3rd show reviews, and I will have a lot more uh, all Japan content coming to VOW. Uh, yep, that's awesome, and I, I definitely want to see some more all Japan. They're, they're, they're like set up for an exciting year, so we'll see what happens there. Yeah, very excited for that Aoyagi uh, title title challenge. And Chris, of course, the sport of pro wrestling. Go ahead and give me the big plug, which I think I incorrectly said yesterday. The statistics of pro wrestling, but <laughs> so. uh, either way, um, yeah. So I run sportofprowrestling.com, which is kind of a sister site to voicesofwrestling.com now. Um, most of that is statistics and compilations of different data points and things, things of that sort. Um, I, yeah, you can find me on Twitter at the Chris Samsa. That's T H E C H R A S S A M S A. And, uh, a lot of the stuff you heard, uh, Kevin Kelly and Gino and the gang, um, talking about throughout Russell kingdom, um, came through the notes that I sent them. So, um, it's, it's a good time. All right, and thank you, as always, for listening, whether you listen live or whether you're listening back to the podcast, which I will have a hell of a time recreating the audio. Oh, I forgot to mention, before Naito won, I decided to put, like last night, I decided to put um, the Naito theme from the new piano CD, 
that's like the little buffer I put between the two parts on the podcast episode. So when you listen back, if you're wondering why you suddenly hear a piano <laughs> playing Naito's theme song, it's from the new piano album they put out, which is so good. Like it's, if it's you awesome. Yeah, you have to get that if you haven't seen it. It's just like they got like a real like, uh, like like amazing. Uh, piano player to do it and he was just he did just really really good but yeah so definitely check that out uh that's what that little interlude between the two parts is from but uh of course you can follow us on twitter at wrestle omakase wrestling would not fit and folks next week is our annual wrestling omakase awards episode so i don't know who the guests are going to be yet i have to get all that together this week once i sleep for a very long time so it <laughs> will be um you know, doing all, going through all the awards, all all of our picks, uh, all the final results from the esteemed panel of 2019 Wrestling Omakase guests. I still have to bother a lot of them to fill out their goddamn ballots, but um, hopefully, you know, I get a few more before the deadline this week, and then I will have the results up on VoicesOfWrestling.com, and we'll do the awards episode. So it's always a fun time. Uh, check that out next week. In the meantime, thank you as always for listening, and we will see you next time.